You're already doing better than last time. Uh, <laughs> Look, you got to celebrate those small victories. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes, indeed. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Doing okay. Uh, I am right on the cusp of having a week off. So, you know that thing that happens on Sundays. If you work like a Monday to Friday 9 to 5 kind of jam, where part of your Sunday is just tainted by this notion that you've got Monday looming. Yeah. None of, none of that today. Feeling good. You know, have you... So, I don't know how prevalent these commercials are, but because we only stream... And we do a lot of Tubi, which has commercials. Maybe they're on Amazon, too. I don't know. Everything has commercials anymore. One of the commercials we keep getting is for one of the gambling apps. Sure. And, it's the, and maybe it's the MGM one, and it's like, um, brings you the, the, the best feeling ever, winning. Even better than feeling number ranked whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now I've forgotten where <laughs> I was going. So how did we Mondays. start here? What did you say? Oh, yeah. So they said one of them is um, waking up. Thinking that it's Monday, but it's actually Saturday, oh. uh, or or something like that, and I'm like, wait a minute, no, but it's actually Sunday. That's what they said. I was like, no, no, the better the better would be thinking it's Monday, but it's actually Friday is a much better right. feeling than because if it's Sunday, half your weekend's gone already. Yeah, you want the you want the all of that to look forward to, not just another <laughs> 24 hours. So anyway, I thought the commercial was terrible, as was my delivery of my story. Well, you know, and I'll fix that in post. It's fine. Uh, it'll be just like the Avengers. We're recording against a blue screen right now, so it's going to be fine. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. The thing is, is I've, you know, I don't work in full service like a la carte restaurants anymore. So the classic restaurant chef nightmare of the ticket machine just going and going and going and going and going. I don't have that anymore. But I do work a Monday to Friday gig these days. And each one of those days has a different personality. If you come into an all scratch kitchen on a Monday, you have a lot of stuff didn't carry over from Friday. So Monday is a slog. There's a lot to do on a Monday. I've been having days recently... Could be losing my mind. I don't know. Where I will wake up in the middle of the night, like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and not know what day it is and not know how worried I should be, right? I had a day, it was a Tuesday, a couple of, is it last week? Where I woke up and I was convinced, I looked at my my, my phone and I was like, oh, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, but whatever, it's, it's Saturday. And then I woke up about 10 minutes later and checked it again and I was like, fuck, no, it's Tuesday. Like, I have to go to work today. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful, but the more worrying thing is, why did I think it was Saturday already? <laughs> Monday, the Monday that I had that week was kind of rough, but it wasn't rough enough to really constitute an entire work week, you know, worth of stress. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's so it's also disconcerting to wake up and not know where you are. Yeah, um, I will often in the middle of the night will go out to the couch uh, because I, oftentimes when I wake up, it's like I'm snoring and I don't want to wake Kayla. Yeah. Um, or whatever. So anyway, I'll, I'll go out to the couch. But um, so that's a thing that happens. And the other night I woke up and I thought I was on the couch, but I was in the bedroom and like nothing around me was where it should be. <laughs> um, and I was so just out of it and did not know where I was because I thought the, the light coming in from under the hall door was 
the front door. I mean, I, I was so discombobulated <laughs> for so long, and, and it just threw me off. Well, I the last time that happened to me, because whatever, I, I sleep here in this house most of the time that I'm sleeping. When I went to my last conference for my job, they put us up in these... Uh, I guess in general, they are not hotel rooms so much as they are like almost like a long-term apartment but not enough to have like an apartment lease, right? Yeah, yeah. So like a like a traveling business person's where there was a kitchenette and things like that. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was that. I woke up to an alarm, which I normally don't wake up to an alarm. I usually wake <laughs> up before my alarm. And then my alarm goes off like as I'm already on my way to work. But I woke up to an alarm because I was in a different time zone and my schedule was going to be different. And I, for a good solid like worrying minute, no idea where I was. Just zero concept of where I was, what I was supposed to be doing, none of that. Now, I know that you have been an avid coffee drinker since... Um, Birth. I, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, since since I've known you, so probably before then. Yeah. So my question is, do I, I, know, I know I've been... I noticeably feel, noticeably feel different after I've had my coffee sometimes, but that, but it's not necessarily like I'm in a better mood like the old the old yeah. gag. Uh, but how much of that has that ever been true for you where you're like, I'm, I'm not going to be in a good mood until I have this coffee. Well, that's a great place to start. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to in the weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. I've begun to wonder recently, cause now I only drink really good coffee. I'm in a financial position. I'm in a position in my life, right? Like I don't have time for games. Um, I just drink really good coffee. I do wonder how much of the effect of the coffee is the ritual involved, right? Like, when I get up on the weekends and I immediately make a pot of coffee, how much of the, like, wakefulness and the sense of well-being and things like that simply comes from the process of making the coffee, knowing what the result's going to be psychosomatically, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. If I'm drinking amazing coffee anyway, which I am, like, I'm off this whole next week, I went to Taste of Columbia Coffee Roasters on... Montrose and Cicero today, ladies and gentlemen. If you live anywhere near the south, the northwest side of Chicago, fucking that's where you should be buying your coffee. I bought two pounds of coffee because I'm gonna be home for the next like six days straight. I'm gonna drink a lot of coffee at work. <laughs> I actually drink less coffee than I do at home. I I make okay coffee for my staff. It's not the best, right? I'll go to TJ Maxx and buy like the best of the weird five dollar a pound ground <laughs> coffee they have. I don't get any of the like M M&M and M or Snickers flavored ones because that's just an abomination. But I'll get like their Columbia or there's one called um, oh. It's called something like Everyman Joe or Everybody's Joe or something like Joe. Big red letters, whatever. That stuff's pretty good. And again, it's like five bucks a pound, but I'm making coffee for six other people and they sort of don't care. They're not to judge them at all. They're just like, whatever, it's coffee, I'll drink it. Yeah. So I honestly think it's part artifice. It's part just like the the process of making the coffee and also the like high quality coffee that I drink. I am in a noticeably better place after I've had a cup of coffee. But does it affect your how you interact with others, do you think? No, but I would say no now. Because I am in such a better, calmer, <laughs> more like self-regulated place now. Sure. And I've been working yeah. on this for a couple of years very purposefully. Uh, in the past, I would say absolutely. But I feel like that was a crutch. I feel like in the morning, say five years ago... 
I just didn't want anybody to mess with me, so I played up the whole I haven't had coffee yet, leave me alone thing, right? Like, I turned into I haven't had coffee monster yet because I wanted also people to just leave me alone. Now I'm just in a better spot, right? I, yeah. I am I'm a person who is relatively pleasant, but then after I've had some coffee, like, aha, it's me, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I and I think that's fair. And anyone that wants to, to play that card, the don't talk to me till I have had my coffee card, I think that's fair. And I think because that's an, a very easy line to draw. Yeah. yeah. In terms of, hey, if I get to work and I haven't and you don't see coffee in my hand, do not talk to me. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a fine barrier or boundary to, to establish, um, because then if you don't want to talk to people, you just never have coffee in your hand that day. <laughs> well, right. So my dad tells a story because my dad was a high school chemistry teacher for like 17 years and he never really wanted to be a teacher. He wanted to be a professional baseball player. He almost was. It didn't work out. Dude never looked back. It's I've got a lot of respect for that. But he had a professor in college who very first, I almost said episode, very first period of the class that ever happened, very first session, the, the professor just said, look, I am awful on Wednesdays. I'm just always going to be in a bad mood on Wednesdays. You do not want to bring me any problems on Wednesdays because the answer is going to be no, and I'm going to be mad at you. And my dad saw that guy again later after he graduated, and he asked him about it, and the professor said, I made that up. I just needed one day where everybody was going to be nice to me. <laughs> so if coffee is your thing for that great if you know if you can find something else you just have to be real consistent about it but yeah and i i will say that there have been times where i know i've had a caffeine headache and oh, yeah. I'm, that probably affected how i interacted with people i've definitely been hangry uh-huh. at times so it's a, it is a thing i'm not yeah. saying it doesn't exist i'm just curious how often it's true <laughs> yeah, well that and like you get to an age and a sense of like self-ownership where yes maybe you're hangry but it is still up to you how much that affects how you operate in the world right yeah. like it doesn't actually do it's, it's like the force right it doesn't actually direct your actions right it is just another piece of energy so i don't know and i imagine with coffee as well that the, a portion a portion of that especially in a work situation or a school situation or whatever is I want to make sure I have scalding hot liquid in my hand so that you know how to bring whatever news you're bringing to me to me. Yeah. Uh, because I want I want you to be a little afraid of me. Right. Right. Also, like any more, if I'm going into any sort of a meeting at my job. So, ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first episode, hi. Uh, I run the all scratch kitchen for a private school here in Chicago, and these kids eat so much better than I did when I was a kid. If I go and I try to avoid any meeting I can, I make up the most bonkers excuses. Um, and I'll try to schedule meetings for like when I'm available, like 5.45 in the morning. And people are like, I'm not even fucking awake yet. And I'm like, well, great, because that's when I'm available. So I try to avoid meetings as much as possible. But when I do have to go to a meeting, I will take my water bottle or I will take a cup of coffee because I need a prop because it turns out Meetings at my job tend to be so frustrating because of the level of of ignorance, which is not really people's fault, but then decision-making based on that ignorance with, like, this extreme confidence that I make fists with my hands not knowing that's what I'm doing. And it's uh -huh. apparently um, not an appropriate way to operate in a meeting. So if I have something <laughs> I'm holding, then it doesn't look like I'm threatening anybody. Yeah. Because another... chefs, chefs don't have meetings. We yell at people and then they do what we want them to do, traditionally. <laughs> it's not how I operate. But then you put one of us in a school setting where everybody has to be nice and everybody has to be heard and everything's got to go through two committees before it gets ruined. Nah, that's not the space for me, man. Here, here's another thing you can try. Um, both Ben and listeners at home, <laughs> uh, 
um, you can become known as this person at work. Do what Ben does. Always bring a beverage of some kind with you to work. A, a big water bottle is probably best. And then whenever you're called on or addressed, spit take. Yeah, yeah. Just have water or whatever it is in your mouth so that you're ready for when they call on you, you can spit take. Now, you're also, you know, you could swallow it as well and then talk. But um, if you become known as a spit take person, you'll be asked to do fewer things, at least by the people right next to you. So there are, in in a... Uh improv sketch comedy kind of way not that i know a ton about that you need to be careful to not fall into um you know habits that are very easy yeah. to see coming right <laughs> there are a couple of people who tend to be in the same meetings that i am and they know now that chef ben which again is a character i play at work uh when chef ben says pardon me what Chef Ben is doing in that moment is he is giving that person an opportunity to rethink the thing they just said <laughs> without him having to say, did you just fucking say that to me? Uh, and so I have had people, I've said, pardon me? And I've had people, not that I was addressing, but the other people laugh because they know what I'm saying. Because <laughs> there's, as far as meaning. Oh, he totally heard. Yeah, as, as, as far as meaning goes, there's not that much difference between pardon me and the fuck you just say. But they're, I mean, they're spelled differently, obviously. And so yeah. <laughs> there are certain people in the room who know what I'm saying. And there are certain people who will eventually learn what it is that I'm saying. But like the word, when I say the word fellas, fellas always takes the place of a derogatory term of some sort for me. That's my polite way of saying, you know, I'm, I'm not pleased with this group of humans. <laughs> Shitbergs? That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... I've said this about every job I've ever had. There's 10 ways to do everything in the kitchen, right? There's 10 ways to dice an onion. There's 10 ways to sear a piece of salmon. But the only the only right way to do it is the way the chef wants you to do it, right? It's code switching. Not in the, like, horrible racist way that, like, you know, African-American kids are taught that they have to talk white if they want to do well in a job interview. Not like that kind of thing. But just, like, being situationally aware of here is how I talk here and here is how I talk elsewhere. Here is how I behave in this situation. Everybody does it. You talk to your friends differently than you talk to your parents, then you talk to your grandparents, then you talk to your kids, right? It's all different. Man, have I had an education at this job about how to deal with school administrators and teachers and stuff like that. And I thought I knew, <laughs> but you learn something every day, Steve. Yeah. Well, I mean, every, uh, I mean, you, I don't have to tell you this, uh, anyone that didn't know, and again, most the majority of listeners might know this, but every even if it's the same type of institution, every institution is so weirdly different in in the interpersonal sort of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, there there are some similarities that can be drawn for sure. Like like when we were at CJ's. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, institutional stuff. <laughs> I was like, I there's some of this I recognize, but then there's some of it that was so unique to CJ's. Uh, because of either the, just the personalities of the people involved or for whatever <laughs> the, reason. The it's, age of the people involved. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is, a, this is a CJ problem versus this is an institutional problem. And then when those two collide. Yeah. Well, and not to say that everybody who worked at CJ's was super, super old. Right. Um, but I think uh, now the count is five of them have died of just old age since you and I worked there. And it's uh, only uh, been eight years. Yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. Are they buried beneath the old <laughs> the old building? They're still in that dumb waiter. They're in the broken dumb waiter. <laughs> just stacked up they're, in there. They're in some uh, nook downstairs yeah, that yeah. will be found years and years from now. Hey, look at this. Yeah, I don't know. It's 
You're right. Each institution like that. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you can apply this to your own kitchens as well, your own restaurant, if you're part of a restaurant group even. If you're looking at higher education or uh, elementary school education or whatever it is, high school, I don't know. Each one of those institutions is a little bit different. And if you are in a position that I am, where I'm a third-party contractor, essentially, we're a food service management company that I work for. And so I stand with one foot in each world where, yes, I follow the rules and regulations and the training and I have the support of my company, right? But then I'm also sort of a ranking manager within the school operation, even though I don't work for the school itself. And I I rank as a director, but I can't really tell people what to do, but I do anyway. And nobody really pushes back against it as long as I stay more or less in my lane. But figuring out the politics is the first thing that you have to do. And unfortunately, the committees are the worst part of it. This is why, and I hate to say that it has worked for so long, but like this is why most chefs are like totalitarian dictator people. It's because when you put something into a committee, when you start asking other people what their opinions are, shit dies on the vine. Things don't get done. Yeah. Like, I don't believe our Congress or our House of Representatives have passed a bill in like 10 years. And it's just because <laughs> it's a, it's 400 extremely old people gumming at each other, you know, really, really, really intricate problems that they're having in their one neighborhood in Massachusetts. And it's like, look, we're talking about gun control in the entire country. What the hell's going on here? They can't get anything done. And it's because yeah. there's just too many voices. And, and then definitely too many of them that are cuckoo. Correct. All right. And so 18 minutes of that, we've talked about nothing that we were going to talk <laughs> about today. So, Steve, I was wondering if you wanted to start telling me about the cheese crisis article that you sent me. Because I will be honest with you, I just kind of glanced at it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I didn't, I don't know as I did a close read. That's from Vox, right? Yeah. Oh, it's not the right thing to click on. I had tried to open all of these up. Okay. Beware a cheese crisis looms. Yes. So it's specifically about camembert, which I guess is, brie is a branch of camembert? Sure. Um. I know they're very similar. I don't necessarily know what the difference is. Um, it, I guess it uses the same, um, uh microbe is that the right word yes so basically the 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 gist of this is that and this is it's the same problem that's happening with bananas okay so at one point there were oodles and oodles and oodles of varieties of bananas and um dole or whomever was like hey you know what is a really good banana the cavendish and i don't even think i don't even think it was the cavendish initially it was uh, whatever but whatever type of banana and so the majority of people started growing that banana and then what happens um some sort of banana rust or fungus that yeah. uh, attacks bananas comes along and they have to switch to a banana that that is uh resilient against that etc cetera, etc cetera. until now we have the cavendish banana grown almost exclusively that we've all become um familiar with in terms of what a banana should taste like and now there is a fungus that is attacking the cavendish banana and um if it makes it to all the plantations then you know we might have to go back to eating plantains like we eat bananas or or something else have a different variety had, of banana have you ever had those little they're like two inches long three inches long red bananas from puerto rico 
I've not. They're amazing. So if we had to go to that, it's more work to peel per like volume of banana that you get because they're littler, but they still have to be wrapped all the way around. Uh, but they're nice. That's a good banana. They're a little firmer and a little less sweet, and I like both of those things. Yeah. And that's something that we all may have to grow accustomed to at some point. Um, so for camembert, it is whatever the microbe is through the years as they, you know, are figuring out. It. So at one time, I guess there could have been many varieties of camembert. Okay. Currently, there is what like one microbial colony that is responsible for all camembert and, and by extension, all brie. And they're finding it more and more difficult to get that microbial colony to duplicate. Like the issue you had with your starter. Yeah. Your sourdough starter. Okay. So for for whatever reason, it's not wanting to um, multiply and propagate. So um, what they're inoculating the milk with to create these cheeses is becoming more and more scarce. And um, their uh, Vox, worst case scenario would be that we lose that microbial colony and we don't have any others to create the camembert because it's not like we have a seed vault of apple varietals um, in Norway somewhere for this cheese uh, fungus or uh, cheese microbe. Yeah. Bacteria, whatever it is. Yeah. Interesting. And I wonder because bacteria mutate so fast. I wonder if it is a case of not being a microbiologist myself, that microbe itself uh, mutating in such a way that it becomes the dominant strain. The other ones die out, but it does not do the thing we want it to do in the cheese. So it still exists, but it doesn't do the thing we want it to do because that's possible. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I think it, it, it would be a matter of time before we got back there. We, we, probably could the same with the bananas because what it says is these strains which are considered domesticated yeah uh, microbes can still reproduce but some are nearly infertile um so it would be a matter of and i imagine someone's on it right now right trying to find um another one and then domesticating it yeah uh because it's not like these these cheeses have been around forever and it's not that they weren't genetically engineered, these microbes. They were found at one point, either accidentally and then, you know, replicated. It's like, oh, this milk has turned into, oh, hey, this is pretty good. Um, and then we, we keep some of that and we inoculate milk with it, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. And now it's uh, it's it's like the episode of Star Trek where they go to the the they go to the planet where everyone's Irish. And then they yeah. it's the second part of the colony and they were all clones and yep. um, rep- replicative fading. Um, or whatever. Right, signal degradation. Um, I'm I'm really interested in this sentence from this article. Uh, well, the, the previous sentence gives the context. So, quote, Today all camembert and breed cheeses worldwide are inoculated with this one genetically identical albino strain of fungi, which is not found in the wild. Okay, so that's the context. The sentence that I like, That means that a brie from a grocery store in France and one from a bodega in New York City have identical, or nearly identical, penicillin penicillium microbes i don't spend a lot of time in new york can you buy brie at a bodega in new york because <laughs> if so that's that's a level of bodega we don't have here in chicago i know that yeah <laughs> like don't get me wrong you can get served hot like ready to eat tacos in a bodega here in chicago in chicago right uh which is awesome although sometimes you get food poisoning trust me it'll be worth it it'll be like honest food poisoning it'll be like 
partially food poisoning and partially you just order too many tacos because they're so good. But I've never <laughs> seen brie in one of them. Like uh, fresh farmer's cheese, sure, I've seen that, but I don't know about brie. Well, that's the other the other side of that, right? Is like who's going into a bodega looking for brie? Is anyone like emergency because, brie stash at your local yeah. corner store in New York? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. Like I said, I don't spend a lot of time in New York. Yeah, if people are going in there looking for brie, I imagine they would carry it because they're going to carry whatever people come in at two a.m. looking for. But that's true. My grocery store, like right near my house, carries five. I counted them today. Five different oat milks. Okay. They do not carry Oatly, which is the original oat milk, which is the only one my wife will drink. And I don't begrudge her her brand loyalty because I'm brand loyal in many weird ways as well. But I have to go to a different store if I want to buy oat milk for my wife because my store that carries five types does not carry the one she likes. That feels weird, but okay. Like you can't, you can't carry everything all the time. Uh, it feels weird that they would carry all these oat milks, but not like the... Right, it'd yeah. be like if you carried a whole bunch of off-brand like cheese puffs, but no Cheetos. Yeah, or they have all they have that they have all the almond milks, they have pea milk, but you're like, can I get some cow's milk? I'm like, what? Ooh, I should have sent you a picture of this. I picked up Amish milk, right? Because we're trying to we're trying to make better choices these days, and we were getting this milk from Costco called A2, which is I don't know what that means, but it's some level of milk production that's like way better milk. I don't know if it's grass-fed. I don't know if it's regenerative farming or whatever. It's like super moral milk. Fine. <laughs> I always call it A24 milk because that's a film studio that makes really cool movies. Regardless, that's not what it is. But I wasn't going to get to Costco and we were out of milk. So I bought this uh, uh, local Amish milk here in Illinois, right? And my immediate thought was, this better not be from that asshole uh, Amos Miller. <laughs> I don't want to get E. coli out of my milk today. I have had that milk, and I've not gotten E. coli, so I'm pretty sure it did not come from Amos Miller. Now, have you noticed getting the A2 or the Amish milk, it, it, do you notice a difference between that and your regular old just Dean's Farms or whatever? I don't just sit down and drink a lot of milk. To be honest, my daughter um, will have a lot of hot chocolate. That tends to be her traditional breakfast is just a cup of hot chocolate. And she's way into Cinnamon Toast Crunch these days. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a chef, if you are a food service professional of any sort, and you feel bad about yourself because you're feeding your kids stuff like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Kraft Mac and Cheese, things like that, do not feel bad. If your kids are eating food, you're probably doing just <laughs> fine. It's just fine. Who cares, right? So... Ian, as much as my daughter's essentially having very small cookies for breakfast, I'm happy that we're giving her better milk. Um, it's thicker. It's richer. You know, it's got a, a higher butterfat content. I, I don't know that I ever felt bad about the milk we were drinking before, so it's not like this makes me feel better, but I don't know. It It is interesting. It makes a thicker sauce. So I made a queso dip the other day, and it was, I mean, it was sturdy stuff. You could You could fill nail holes in the wall with this stuff. <laughs> but i don't know how much of that was due to the milk now is that is that like a difference between like uh whole milk and skim milk because whole milk would be in theory the same in terms of just a difference in thickness right yeah i mean it is it is a whole milk but you're right it's got a higher butter fat than like a like what you get out of commodity just like grabbing a gallon of milk off the shelf um is they will go to whatever the absolute minimum percentage is of butter fat to count as whole milk and then they'll stop and some of these other ones are just like nah look shit's floating on the top you got like a layer of oil on top here you go and so i mean it's called cream top but still that just makes it makes it richer it's more nutrient dense if that's your idea of a good time is drinking real nutrient dense milk i don't know i again unless there's oreos or chocolate chip cookies in the house i'm not just sitting down to a glass of milk 
Yeah. Ditto. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I I will put it in my coffee, just milk. Hmm. Um, but that's be, that. One of the reasons I do that is because with with it just being the two of us, um, sometimes we don't make it all the way through a gallon before it starts to turn. Yeah. Um, like one time I made milk tarts, huh? um, which are were actually pretty good, oddly enough. Um, so we we have to get creative sometimes. So I've taken to putting it in my milk, so we don't have to do that. Now we tend to run out. So I don't know what's better. Well, um, one thing I would say, and it's important for people to understand this, because I mean, we could do a whole episode on how Best Buy manufactured on and expires on dates are three fucking totally different things, right? Oh yeah. But yeah. when people see a date on a packaged good, they're like, ah, and they freak out. The expiration date on milk is like a guideline. It's really not like your milk expires February 17th. So on February 18th, if you have a teaspoon of it, you're going to die. That is not how that yeah. works, right? Milk is just a really... So it's it's nutrient-dense. It's a rich liquid that things want to live in, right? So like bacteria want to live in. It's not any particular bacteria because if you're not getting your milk from Amos Miller, it's been pasteurized, it's been made safe, and it's been sealed in that bottle or jug or whatever. So if you have not opened, if you haven't cracked the seal... You're looking at a week past the expiration date because nothing's had a chance to get in there to start colonizing that nutrient-rich solution, right? Uh, give it the sniff test. Like anything else in the world, it's probably a good idea to smell it before you put it in your mouth, right? Like, yeah. that's just a rule to live by. However, the other thing about milk, if it hasn't spoiled so bad that it's, like, curdled, what you were just saying is perfect. You can totally cook with it because anything that is growing in there is very unlikely to produce toxins that are going to remain after you heat it up and you're going to kill whatever bacteria it is in there if you're putting that milk into pancake batter or a cake mix or if you're making a sauce out of it or whatever right so if you're going to cook with it that's totally fine and the amount of sourness again if it hasn't curdled yet it's not going to be sour enough for you to notice it either is it going to be tasty on cinnamon toast crunch probably not yeah but can you make an alfredo out of it yep uh i um yeah, I we always do this the smell test, and for me, I will also then if I think it's a little off, I will make sure I get all the crusty stuff from around the, the <laughs> yeah the lid, and then give it another smell, um, and then and then taste it to make sure. I did accidentally once when I was in high school or maybe middle school, there was a jug of milk just sitting on the counter, and I poured that on my cereal, and I was eating my cereal. Uh, because I have two older brothers, and my uh, I figured one of my elder brothers had left the milk yeah. out. Um, and I was like, Mom, I think this cereal has gone bad. But again, I was eating it and yep. I was I kept eating it, but I was, it was just a little off. And um, she's like, why? And I was like, it's just I, it tastes a little sour. And then she's like, what milk did you use? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it was on the counter. She's like, oh, that's sour milk I was going to use for baking. And I was like, yeah. oh, did it? It didn't kill me. I don't even think it did anything to my intestinal tract, but it wasn't good. I mean, it wasn't right. like good, pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. Right, and I wonder if there was some sort of a something where somebody, like, drank spoiled milk and died. Because, like, there is such a fear around spoiled milk. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, where do you think cheese comes from? Where do you think butter comes from? Where do you think yogurt comes from? All of these are controlled spoilage of milk, right? So, like, yeah, if you have milk that even now starts to smell a little sour, you throw that shit in a pan. You hit it with a little bit of lemon juice. You hit it with a little bit of salt. You bring it to a boil. You turn it off. You let all that stuff flow to the surface. You strain it off into a cheesecloth, and you've got ricotta cheese done right like you've saved yeah. yourself whatever it costs you to buy a gallon of milk now the yield on it is terrible a gallon of milk is going to get you like two cups of ricotta it's better <laughs> than throwing it away right yeah yeah 
And the the infamous uh, fettuccine Alfredo I made in college with right. the old cream. That was probably dangerous. That was very old. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, it was it was bought a little bit too early for Valentine's Day, but um, I made it. And it was just, it wasn't that the, the fettuccine was sour. It just yeah. wasn't good. Yeah. It, it, you know, and it wasn't anything that you could put a finger on and be like, wow, this is this, you may you use spoiled heavy whipping cream for this or old heavy whipping cream. It was, and it probably, I mean, old is probably the better word for how it tasted because it didn't taste sour. It was just like, I, I could be eating cardboard and yeah. you know, it, it would be the same sort of a situation. But again, I mean, it was thoroughly cooked, um, it was only dangerous to the relationship. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, that's our title. <laughs> it would be worth our time, I think, to do an entire episode just about food spoilage as like a PSA, because there are certain things that you don't want to fuck around with, right? Like if you have an older canned good that you bought, right? That's fairly high in sugar, like canned beets or something like this, where the can either has a dent or a scrape or it's starting to like expand, like you can tell that it's puffing up. That's botulism. You want to throw that into the sun. You want to get that thing as far away from you as possible. So there's yeah. I'm I'm kind of flip about milk because people like the reaction to quote spoiled milk is so far beyond what a reasonable reaction would be to something that is at best minorly dangerous but at the same time like some things like the way that our parents used to just leave the thanksgiving turkey out on the counter for like nine hours and everybody would just sort of poke at it throughout the day that shit's just dangerous (laughs) you know and so we have we have a really weird re um relationship to that to like food safety and our reactions to foods being unsafe um well you know and in sort of in the same vein uh but going back to this article a little bit one of the things i thought was really interesting is that it is this albino um penicillium yeah uh microbe that that's the one that took off and i'm wondering like did it take off because it's albino are other penicilliums like could you eat a a red brie or a blue brie or a green brie so I'm in for all those except for the green one. There's a thing about if it's not a vegetable, if it's green, we all go, Bleh. So that would be another one. Like if you go to pick up a chicken breast and it's green, don't eat that chicken breast. Yeah. But unless, yeah, unless that's a chlorophyll bearing thing, boy, if it's green, we don't want to touch it, do we? Yeah. But a red brie, I mean, red would be, it would be like when you call a horse white. There's no white horses. They're actually like a gray color. But like a brick red, like a like a done colored brie i'm in for that heck yeah or or well i mean brown doesn't in culinary culinarily speaking doesn't denote anything bad it's because gbd right yeah yeah so brown probably wouldn't be a turnoff i'm just wondering like did the others taste bad or what like why did the white one take off and others didn't so i don't know we'd have to get jennifer back on i don't know the history of brie itself but there was a penchant in france for a while that if you were eating brown bread you were a peasant if you were eating white bread you were royalty if you were eating brown sugar or honey Uh you were a peasant if you were eating white sugar so there was this whole thing about purity and white being posh and being part of the the upper class so could be that you're right it could be that it was tailored for the only people who can afford this crap because we don't have bodegas yet in france 
are the upper crust here, so we need to make this thing that that appeals to them. Yeah, and in which case it would have been totally status and not necessarily flavor in any way. Right, right. So, so the outcome of this, if this current albino penicillium uh, does uh, stop reproducing, maybe we end up with more colorful camembert and brie. Right. Does, the... I mean, if someone is is out there playing with penicillium, like I don't know, like when do you do human trials with cheese? Like what's what's the cheese development process? If you if we wanted to create an in the weeds cheese, a new Ooh. type of cheese, how do you do that? Well, I mean, I don't know enough about cheese making, but we would have to first like learn how to make cheese in general, and then sort of decide what kind of cheese we wanted to make, and then yeah, they just make some and see if people like it. Really, I think it would be as simple as that. But well, we but would I mean, have to if decide if we wanted to make, like, a cheese that was ripened in some fashion like this is, where it's inoculated with bacteria, or if we're just making a cheese that's, like... Because something like cheddar, really, that's just been chemically altered and then pressed. You know, it hasn't been uh, changed the way that something that's inoculated with a bacteria or a fungus is. Yeah, well, if we're going to do that, we're going to inoculate it with something. Yeah. But we're just really, we're up for anything. So we just grab, we go to our local uh, fungo mart, or even into the woods... Yeah. And we're just sticking syringes into things, <laughs> sucking spores out, <laughs> and then going and inserting them into cheese. Like, I presume it happened in the 14th century. I don't know when cheeses, some of these cheeses came about, 12th, 10th, 9th, 8th. They, surely there was cheese way back in B.C., so yeah. whatever B.C., when when some of these cheeses happened, presumably by accident initially. Yeah. Um, My understanding what, of, like, the actual birth of cheese is that cheese started off as being kind of a ricotta-looking thing because milk was being stored in the repurposed stomachs of cows that were being used as bags. And the stomach of a cow contains this compound called rennet, which coagulates proteins, right? So as these people are migrating across the plains of northern Europe or whatever they're doing, sloshing fresh milk around inside of this bag that has a protein coagulant in it, they go to take a big drink of milk and they get ricotta. And they're like, what the hell is this? But it still contained all of the nutritive elements of that milk. And so starting with that, I bet you then they just had a bag laying around that also had some sort of a bacteria in it. And a couple of days later, they were like, what is this thing now? Because it yeah. would have changed. And so at that point, it just becomes, yeah, science, trial and error. Well, and that's what I mean. So, like, okay, we've successfully made a cheese. Yeah. How do we figure out if it's going to kill someone? Oh, we that's send it just... to Australia to that lady that does the mushroom thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just pick people we don't like, and we're like, try this cheese. You're my best friend now, and then we just watch them to see if they get sick. <laughs> I mean, so you can you can buy online cheese making kits. For the most part, it is uh, powdered citrus acid and rennet. So it's not one of these that has a any sort of a bacteria involved but i bet you you could go one step further and order cheese cultures you know and and do that kind of stuff there are people smarter than me who are in charge of that who have already yeah. identified what the good cheese bacterias are well most of those i mean most of those have to age longer than i have room or patience for yeah. to do at home i think and some of those bacteria originally came from the caves where people were aging cheese and they didn't realize they were going to get inoculated with a bacteria and then they were like what is this thing now yeah. And I feel like a lot of human discoveries should have what is this thing now attached to them as like the starting point of a discovery. Yeah. They just need Calvin and or Hobbes. Uh, <laughs> right. As their spokesperson. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, you know, so I did learn that the difference between Brie and Camembert, functionally at least, is that Brie is aged between five and ten weeks and Camembert is aged between two and four weeks, which is why Camembert has a stronger flavor and a, a slightly firmer texture because the Brie is breaking down as it's being aged and it mellows out and whatever. Uh, maybe that's why I like Brie better than Camembert because it is softer. It's got a, a like a, a sweeter sort of a flavor to it. Camembert's a little bit uh, strong, a little bit assertive for me. Yeah. I don't know if I've had Camembert, but I've definitely had Brie and I like Brie. So what is the um, what is the progression then? Camembert and you let it age a little longer and it's Brie. You let it age a little longer and it's Blinky. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Then it becomes soup. <laughs> I mean, there's so there's a cheese called Saint Andre, which is a triple cream brie. That stuff is amazing, but that's spreadable, right? Like that's not even really to me. That's not a cheese. It's more like a pudding, but it's really good. It's like if you were to make a really good pudding out of butter, so good. <laughs> but like you'll cut yourself a piece of it and you'll eat. Like you'll cut a piece and you're like, I'm gonna eat that piece of cheese, and then you eat about two thirds of it and you're like, if I eat any more of this. I might die. Not of anything being wrong. Just that's a lot of calories. Yeah. And um, boy, I made that mistake yesterday too. We ended up taking a detour in the middle of our day yesterday and we got ice cream at that place, Village Creamery, the uh, Korean ice cream place. Don't, ladies and gentlemen, ever make the mistake of ordering a double scoop because it's like three pounds of ice cream. And then I had chips and queso for dinner, which was like two and a half hours later. Um, I woke up this morning in a, uh, a certain amount of distress and I'm okay now, but that was a mistake. That was two mistakes, like back to back. Yeah, too much dairy? Yeah, I mean, yes, but it's not the dairy's fault. It was just a lot of material. Just yeah. a lot of stuff. Uh, yesterday, uh, Kayla's like, hey, we have to do our one new culinary experience a month. So, but she was like, let's just do a dessert. Let's find a place to do dessert. She's like, what's the in thing right now? I was like, uh, I don't know. I was like, we'd probably have to go to a bigger met metropolitan area to find yeah. the in thing. Cause it's like, it's not cupcakes anymore. Right. What no. is it? Um, uh, but they do have a couple cookie places in South Bend. Okay. Um, so we're like, well, it might be the tail end of something, but anyway, there's this place called Blondie's cookies that seems to be Indiana based. I think they only have locations in Indiana. I think all of them are in malls. So we went to the mall and we got some, um, expensive cookies and, uh, like snickerdoodle. It was, it was a good snickerdoodle, but I mean, it's like how I don't, no one's elevating a snickerdoodle. Right. Like it's a snickerdoodle is a snickerdoodle. And then they had some others that were like, this is uh, they had a pumpkin spice cookie. And then they had one that was like a peanut butter something cookie. That was basically the, it was the cookie. And then it had like um, a half inch of some sort of frosting on top uh -huh. um, that may have been carrying most of the flavor. And uh, they were, they were good, but boy, howdy was that like a punch in the face of the sugar <laughs> fist. Um, uh, cause I, we tried some last night, just, we cut two and a half so we could each try two different ones and it had a cookie, but it was like, Oh, um, it was, it very, very sweet. I think, I think I'm, I'm more of a fan of frosting on cake than I am on cookies. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Unless it's a filled cookie. Yeah. Or like, like it's a cookie sandwich. Uh, the royal icing or whatever you put on a sugar cookie normally. Sure. Yeah. That's fine. But for sugar cookies, I don't, I wouldn't want that on a 
chocolate chip cookie, I don't no. think. I think that'd be a little too much. But like buttercream or just thick piping of yeah. of frosting on a cookie, I don't I don't think it appeals to me. So what is the dessert thing right now? Because you're right, cupcakes are over, although you can still get cupcakes. Um donuts are donuts are fading. Donuts were a big deal like two years ago. There was I don't know if it's gonna catch on or if it fizzled before it really caught on or if it was just an East Coast thing, but tiny donuts. Peace, love, and little donuts. I think there's one in Mackinac City. I don't. I, they may have made it to Kalamazoo, where you'll get like a bag, with like a hundred small donuts. Yeah, they're like donut yeah. size almost. Yeah, yeah. And then, but they'll do weird things with them. Duck donuts was one out in uh, oh, on the East Coast. I follow Duck Donuts on Instagram, and it always makes me so angry because I'll look at the donuts and I'll be like, "Fuck yeah, I'm gonna go get some donuts." And then I'm like, "You're only in Boston," and it happens every time because yeah. there are like five different donut places here in Chicago that I follow, and every so often they'll get me, and I'll be like, "Ooh, I'm going to something sweet donuts today." I like the look of that thing. But I will not check the name first. And I'll be like, Duck Donuts again? Why do I follow these guys? Well, the one we went to, I don't know if it's 100% sure that it was Duck. But one of their things was they ma- they're they making them right there. Like, you're yeah. waiting. So, sort of like Krispy Kreme, but they're cake donuts, I think, that they're making. But they're still, like, plopping them and frying them. And they're taking them out of the fryer. And they're... So, they are definitely the hottest donuts. The, <laughs> the, you know, quickest, freshest donuts I've ever had. The only downside about them... Um, when we got them was they were so hot um, and there was such a line out the door that um, and they had to make them so quickly that when we opened the box it was all of the donuts in a puddle of what should have been on top yeah um but uh and i'm sure that doesn't happen all the time because they don't necessarily aren't pulling them right from the fryer and trying to coat them in something or or squirt something on the top so Uh, so i don't know if that's something that's going to catch on or if that if that's only if that's going to stay regional now, what would you want it to be? What would you want the next nationwide dessert craze to be? Because you're right, for a minute it was really big cookies or cookies that were like stuffed and filled and were like three times the size of a regular yeah. cookie. For a minute it was fancy cupcakes. And here in Chicago, the epicenter of that was a place called Sprinkles that was opened up by a person who I knew. This was fucking 16 years ago. Um, well, Molly's was big too. In, Molly's in was big too, yep. Chicago. And. Donuts have always been around, but they've definitely had a day last five or six years, and I th- I would say it's starting to taper because the places who have been doing it well are continuing to do it well. But I'm seeing places close, things that popped up and 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 you know popped right back out. What would you want the next thing to be? Well, this is I I don't know if this would be true of cupcakes initially, though I think it could have become true. Because both cupcakes and donuts seem like they like the place we went to in Jacksonville could be very Instagram centric. Yeah, yeah. In terms of we, this is something that can be very Instagram friendly. Yeah. Um, and that's where I, I'm. I'm happy that Sweetwaters has never tried to jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> right. Like, look, we this is what we do. Yeah. If you want it, great. If not, that's fine too. They do like weekly donuts, and they do stuff for for seasonal things but you know they've never been too worried about yeah this is a weird shaped donut and it's delicious so (laughs) eat it or don't yeah um so i feel like in order for something to get big it's got to be that which is maybe where the cookies fell in it it, it, because you can do stuff to a cookie to make it you know you can put sprinkles or sparkles or whatever on it and make make it as big as your head or make it look like someone um as far as what i would want uh dessert wise um I don't know. It's an excellent question. You know what had a minute 
was way upscale fancy pop tarts yes it was like maybe 18 months at most i would say it was two years the pinnacle of that as far as i'm concerned was this one chef here in chicago named haley who ran an operation called hard bitten and you could get her pop tarts around town here in chicago or you could order them in bulk from you know her production facility whatever it was she was doing legit all the work and she just closed i don't know in the last month or so i had never had a chance to actually get them because i just was not at the places that she sold them or whatever and then my daughter and i got coffee we were out she was getting her earrings resized and we were waiting for her appointment to happen so we stopped in at a coffee shop and they had them and i pointed and i said are these from are these from Haley? are these hard bitten uh and the guy was like yeah these are the last ones we're gonna get and I know that she moved around from, like, shop to shop. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't realize it was, like, legit the last batch she made before she closed up. And so I got four of them, and I was really happy with getting those. Uh, but I also think that, like, they were amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I bet you not all of them were. Not from her, but, like, in general. Because I yeah, feel like yeah. that's another thing that you just have to eat within hours of them being made. Because yeah. that's going to that's gonna not spoil, but stale up in a hurry. There's a place that Kayla and I went to in Annapolis when we lived in D.C. Um, when we went over to one of the museums over there. And uh, it, it they did, on their menu, they did their own Pop-Tarts. But they called them, like, Rooster Tarts or something. Be- huh. Something that was a play on the name yeah. of the restaurant. And and probably because they didn't want to get sued by Kellogg. But sure. it doesn't seem like Kellogg has been doing that because a lot of people called them Pop-Tarts. Right. So th- I think they're still on their menu and they were on their menu back then. But, yeah, they, they that did kind of blow up. That's an interesting thing. I think I, I could do... If someone was doing really good turnovers, yeah, like hand um, pies, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a pastry, I guess. But that I could get into. Um, I, I could get into re- like not not the gross Guy Fieri shakes, but like a really good <laughs> milkshake place. I don't know if Shake Shack's shakes are all that great. No, that was a um, difficult sentence, though. Uh, you know, yeah, I almost did not make it through. <laughs> the last step was like that last stare between the. Uh, um, theater and the English building on Western's campus that was just a little bit taller than <laughs> the rest. A little bit too tall. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, I could I could get behind that, but those are things that like well you know you're not going to have a place pop up that just does milkshakes. Yeah, because I mean um, for a minute too, like this is still definitely around, but for a minute it was really hot to have weird full size cakes, right? Like you would get you would go to bakeries and they would have these cakes that were just wild with the fillings and the flavorings and the icing and just like all the whole presentation. But anymore people want customizable individual things. So like an individual cupcake that is crazy. Not like an entire cake. An individual pop tart, not an entire cake, you know? And so I don't know where to go from that because cookies, cupcakes, Pop-Tarts, that's all been done now. Donuts, that's all been done. And the idea of like, yeah, an empanada or a turnover or something like that, not very Instagrammable, to your point. Right, yeah. They're, they're all going to look very much the same. Yeah. Something else that is not Instagrammable, but this I legitimately would like to see grow nationwide, although I don't know how it ever could or how they're even doing now. So when we visited Utah, I think I've talked about this before, Brigham Young used to be, uh, because you didn't, you, you don't drink coffee if you're a really good Mormon. Yeah. Uh, because of the caffeine, right? Um, so they also, Brigham Young did not allow soda on campus. Right. Um, so I think you could drink tea, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I'm not a Mormon. Um, 
but so around Salt Lake City and um, uh, the this wherever Brigham Young is, I don't know if it's in Salt Lake or if it's out on the outskirts of Salt Lake and one of the suburbs. But they have uh, like soda bars. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so they'll have all the Coke products, all the Pepsi products, and they'll have like all the Fago products or whatever is the equ- equivalent out there. And then they'll have a menu that's like, you know, Frankenstein's monster. And it'll be like, you know, uh, one quarter Sprite, one quarter Mountain Dew, huh. one quarter Pepsi. And then, um, you know, and it's just they, they've created recipes for mixing the sodas. And then they, you just get this giant thing that you, I guess you'd walk around campus with. Um, perhaps you could take it on campus. You just couldn't buy it on campus. <laughs> I think they've relaxed that. You, you can actually buy soda on campus now. But I've never seen that anywhere else. So part of it, I guess, the fascination with me is that it was unique. But there were, like, different uh, – a couple different chains of these places around Salt Lake and in, and in Utah, and that's all they do. And uh, and wh- the idea of considering pop as a dessert, like, yeah, that makes sense because yeah. guess what's full of sugar? <laughs> full yeah. Of sugar. Um, it, so, yeah, that makes sense. Treat it like something like that. Um, well, it's the same as every single street that runs out of – or freeway that runs out of Illinois into Indiana has a – fireworks yes. warehouse right there yeah. on the indiana side of that border because you can't buy them in illinois yeah that makes sense yeah and i dare say mixing mountain dew and pepsi tastier than uh m80 well, correct yeah 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 for external use only on the m80 yes yes i was trying to convince my dad so a tree fell down this is nothing to do with food <laughs> a tree fell down on my dad's property it's like 60 it was 60 feet tall or something like that it was a uh white pine and it was leaning forever and it finally fell down in a windstorm and um my, they've been cutting the branches off um except for the ones that are supporting it still supporting yeah. it and we were just brainstorming how to do that and my idea which i think got shot down was to go to get a bunch of fireworks and ring it around some of those branches <laughs> blow that up. are supporting it yeah and blow blow them up so that it falls the rest of the way but they're gonna try something else safety be damned yeah yeah I, I, to, I can't come up with anything that I would want to be the next cool dessert thing. Because, like, I, again, what we were still, we were talking about, like, it's got to be something small. Like, handheld. That's, people want their own thing. Like, a parfait? Like, uh, I don't yeah. know. Oh, I mean, Froyo is, has been here and, you know, there and back again. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's going to be that. I mean, I'm all, I love ice cream, so I'm always up for interesting ice cream, but I, again, it's hard for that to, I think, because it's, it's more or less ubiquitous as it is. And I feel like each place has their, or uh, most regions have their own unique ice cream place as well as the chains or whatever. So, well, and I don't know that ice cream needs a renaissance, right? Like ice cream, like you just said, like it's, it's widely recognized as being great so you don't yeah. need to have somebody come out and be like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna fix the ice cream problem there's no ice cream problem right whereas cupcakes up until what 2003 that was kid food but then the yeah. people who grew up with that being kid food were like wait a minute why don't we just make them a third again the size that they are and put a whole bunch of crap on top of them and then it's adult food yeah well is there something that you think should be considered as a dessert uh, that isn't or um, it isn't over here that you would get behind? Like, do you think sticky toffee pudding should be a thing that blows yeah. up on this side of the state? I guess not. I've only had it once and it was too sticky and too toffee and not pudding enough for me because they define the word pudding differently than we do. I don't know. You know, it was just what just occurred to me because of the way my brain works. As I said, somebody who grew up with cupcakes being kid food 
said, wait a minute, it could be adult. Why isn't there a an upscale, taken seriously, Twinkie craze? Like oh, yeah. Wild, rolled up cakes that are filled with a thing that are fancy Twinkies. Why isn't that a thing? Or is that the next thing? Or so are you talking like more like a Swiss cake roll? Maybe. Swiss cake or... rolls are good too. Although, you know what? As I go back and eat these Hostess products and these little Debbie kind of things, they're awful. Nostalgia sauce is such a powerful thing, right? Yeah. And uh, I don't really know how they make Twinkies. It's got to be it's got to be that it's originally a solid piece of essentially dick-shaped cake that they're stuffing with something up. It can't there's it can't be that it's baked with a hole in it. No, no. They have the three holes in the bottom from the injectors. Okay, there you go. So yeah, it is a yeah. solid thing and then they jam a, th- a three-pronged injector thing in there. So that yeah. would be easy enough to do to make fancy Twinkies where you could fill them with a raspberry shambord gelee of some sort and then roll the whole top of it in uh rose white chocolate and sprinkle rose petals and shavings of white chocolate on top of that and charge 18 bucks for it like that's gotta be a thing what's the line between uh twinkie and eclair is it that eclair is is a totally different thing that's that like that's a pot of shoe that's a totally different dough although exactly the same shape the golden the golden uh Golden cake, golden sponge. Golden sponge, yeah. So That a, makes a, a Twinkie a Twinkie. Yeah, and Eclair is made out of the same uh, dough that you would make, like, profiteroles and, and things like that. It's that really, really eggy. It's tough to get the consistency of that stuff right. What about a Long John? Is a Long John essentially a fancy Twinkie? I don't think so, because I think that's still a donut batter. I don't think yeah, that's a, it would be. a golden sponge. Yeah, and it would be fried, and I think Twinkies would be baked, probably. Yeah. Right now, I'm gonna because I I have a pan to make hot dog buns, which is hilarious. I made hot dog buns; they were good. Don't get me wrong. I've had people who saw them on Instagram ask to buy them, so now I need to spend part of this weekend making a batch of hot dog buns, scaling it out, figuring out how much I would charge for them because I've got people who want to buy hot dog buns from me. Fucking hot dog buns, Steve. <laughs> well, it's but, Chicago. There's that too. They want poppy seed hot dog buns, which is fine. I bought poppy seeds today because I told somebody I would do this. Uh, is there a pan specifically for baking Twinkies? I bet there do is. You, do you think the old, what is it, Schuler? What was it? What's the old uh, baking factory that I would pass going to CJ's? No, it wasn't going to CJ's. It was just when I was doing my deliveries. It, but it was down on that side of town. It was started. It had an S on it. Oh, it I was, don't know. Uh, um, really cool tile on the outside, and that that was the company that um, Hostess bought out, or became Hostess. Oh, st- sorry. I found a Twinkie pan. Oh, I was going to say, if you do some Urbex in there, maybe you could find one. But you f- just found one, like a legit Twinkie Twinkie pan, or just... Uh... <laughs> I, I don't. I need you to say legit Twinkie Twinkie pan, like, once a day. That made me so happy. I don't know why. <laughs> Chef-made Twinkie cake pan, eight cavity. Ooh, I don't like the sound of that phrase. God, wow. well, it's $37, though. Man, I well, don't know. I'm already losing money on that. Yeah. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, but that's Wayfair. I bet uh, you could might be able to find it cheaper somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, the other pans that populated below that are also interesting. Just use the corn one they have. 
the King Cookers, King Cooker seasoned cast iron muffin pan with lid. But you can find those in antique stores, the ones that, that look like corn for some reason. You know, I have one of the cast iron ones of those. It wouldn't be... What I like about this Too shallow. Twinkie pan, yeah, is the depth of it. Yeah. Uh, damn it, this might have to be the next thing I buy. Because, again, now we've sort of turned a corner on this business that my daughter wants to open up with her other 11-year-old friends who have decided that they like baking. My daughter, who's actually quite good at it, and it's a little distressing because I want her to not get into the industry. <laughs> I don't know about her friends, although one of her friends has a father who is a chef just like me as well. So there's that. But like now it's it's a thing where they've brought me on and they want me to help them plan it out and they want to have like they've scheduled a meeting at the house where we're going to go over like what equipment they'll need and stuff like that. I hate to like foist this onto a group of 11-year-old girls, but maybe this is where they crack the market if they're doing fancy Twinkies. Everybody in the world is going to buy a fancy Twinkie from a uh, house bakery that run by 11-year-old girls. Of course you're going to buy those. <laughs> Yes. You do two doughs, two batters, a vanilla and a chocolate, and then you do six different fillings and toppings. You have an insane amount of combinations of that, and you can just crank them out. Yeah. Crap. I hate that I have these great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, bet you they would cost nothing to make. Yeah. Uh, I look. It looks like Hostess actually sells one that's branded Twinkie. Ooh. Um, though it's currently unavailable, it look, I don't know what it would have, what it did used to cost. Uh, yeah. Um, it's. I mean, it's. I feel like if you're gonna like the, I don't know if you'd want to use one of those pans though. If you're actually gonna go, oh, maybe that's the one that you want. If you're gonna go, um. Uh. Uh, try to really make it um, a, a thing because like the pop tarts that people were making weren't the size of regular pop tarts. Right. So I don't know. I'm going to send you this link. If maybe you'd want to go this route, um, which is basically a bread pan of a different shape so that you can make a giant that Twinkie. That is a Twinkie loaf. Holy shit. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of don't hate that though. That's hilarious. Um, but, I, I mean, that is almost too big if you're going to do a, um, like, if you're going to try to do, like, maybe half that size. I don't know. No. So, what you do is you do regular size fancy Twinkies, right? Like, tell me you're not going to buy a Twinkie that's full of a lemon cream on the inside with white chocolate on the outside and lavender, right? You're not going to buy that? Of course you're going to buy that. It sounds amazing. But also on that same bakery website, you can get for a party a giant Twinkie cake, <laughs> right? It's like $22 and it's whatever, whatever uh, chocolate or vanilla and you mix and match the filling and the toppings. Well, would you have to call it something different, right? The little ones are Twinkies. So this is just a Twink? Twonky. Twonky. I mean, we'd have yeah. to completely rebrand the whole thing. Like we wouldn't be able to call them Twinkie. Hostess would come down on us like a stack of bricks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it's it's uh. You can't just it, call them twinks because that means something else. Yes, Boys Town would be on you, like. Uh, yeah, stack of pricks. Yeah. So, um, that sucks that I had that idea because now I won't be able to get that out of my head. 
so I uh, I worked for Blue Man Group for a it was like a summer job where I was um, crew, and um, the the they have they had little segments that they could interchange in the show, so. Um, the, the, not all segments had to be there, but there is a very uh, well-known segment of the show where they're all kind of sitting down and they have the goop squirt out of their chest. Yeah, uh, which is just bananas. So even so, it always looks gross when the one person eats it, but it's just bananas. <laughs> but the, also that starts with them with Twinkies. Yeah, and they like a knife and fork, and you know they bring a an audience member on stage who has to like cut or I, I forget exactly how it goes. But what I do know is because like so one of the blue men had to eat one slice of a, a Twinkie like every night, um, <laughs> they bought the uh, light Twinkies, which ah. I don't know how many fewer calories it was. <laughs> um, but uh, because I, I'm one of those people that uh, like you were saying, fondness for Twinkies, like nostalgia and for a while there, like once a year, I'd be like, oh, you know, I haven't had a Twinkie in like a year. And I eat a Twinkie and be like, I know why. Yeah. Um, because it's enough. It's It happened to be the other day at Krispy Kreme. I was like, oh, I haven't had Krispy Kreme in, for, in forever. And when I woke up with diabetes, I remembered <laughs> why it was that That's I didn't me go with Krispy grape Kreme. soda, grape flavored soda. I'll have one grape flavored soda maybe every three years to just be like, yep, still hate that. <laughs> don't want to drink that again yeah because at some point you want to like yeah, i want to pretend like i'm in little league and you're like oh wow <laughs> no <Nope. Yeah. laughs> thank you shasta but no thank you yeah well we so at the school occasionally i have to purchase pop because of after school activities teacher meetings things like that right i ordered sprite and i was accidentally sent uh, grape crush uh oh a month ago and i returned it and my rep you know, every so often he'll just call to confirm a return. He'll be like, why'd you send that grape crush back? And I'm like, because I ordered Sprite. I don't want that crap. And he goes, you don't like grape pop? And I was like, my dude, I really do not. Also, it's not what I ordered, so it's not what I wanted. But, like, I really do not want that. He goes, oh, I'll make a note on your account. I was like, please don't. But like, <laughs> that's, that's weird. But no okay. one else needs to know that. Yeah. It shouldn't really come up. This could be between, be between you and me, Tom. Come on. Yeah. And, I mean, do you, Tom, you know. You know the difference between Sprite and grape soda, right? <laughs> You know that there's Man. a huge difference. Okay, real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, sorry. Uh, I should say this at the beginning of the show. I always forget. If you want to get a hold of us, email is probably best for like a long form thing, right? So that's in the weeds, WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, where I guess sometime this week you'll probably see me making fancy Twinkies. Uh, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and also Steve uh, runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Where you can see all the articles that we reference and that sort of thing. However, restaurant chefs, uh, ordering managers, um, commissary directors. I don't know if you folks have seen this, but the beginning of the pandemic, there lots of restaurants closed, lots of places stopped operating. And so produce companies in particular, but also broadliners, linen companies, whatever, had too much stuff on their shelves. And so they... I don't know if they downsized on purpose or if they had the same staffing issues that everybody else did, people getting sick, people dying, people leaving the industry, whatever. As we've climbed out of the pandemic, certain parts of that supply chain that are very close to the restaurant back door still kind of suck, right? So we're into a position now in my experience where drivers, they're fine. Like I get the same driver four days a week. My dude, uh, Jorge... I don't know his last name. Wouldn't be appropriate to say it on the show anyway. 
takes Wednesdays off, so I get a different driver on Wednesdays for my produce company, but it's always one of three other guys, and that part is great. However, the pickers, the ones who actually build the orders onto the trucks overnight, awful. Absolutely awful. I am seeing mispicks. I am seeing things being out. I am seeing things where I ordered one case of watermelon and I got three, right? Like, I'm seeing things where... Um, I order a 25 pound case of Roma tomatoes and I get a five pound case of cherry tomatoes. Like I'm seeing so much more of that than I've ever seen in my career. And I was wondering if anybody out there could speak to that as well. If you're in the industry, if you're seeing that as a restaurant chef, as an ordering manager, as a commissary director, whatever, if you are in that supply chain and you have some idea of why pickers are apparently awful these days, I would also love to hear about that. So I'm wondering um, it does it with what you're describing. It does seem like a lot of that is mispicks. But I was like with the crush and the sprite. I could also see that as being like, hey, we're out of sprite, and someone said, send them crush. It's a school. It's pop. They'll be fine. Sure, and I and I can appreciate that too because all of those things are probably true. My produce company puts a sticker that has a barcode on it for the driver to be able to scan. And then also has what the item is and where it's going. So it'll say Sprite. And it'll say my venue's location. And it'll be on a box of Crush. And it's like, okay, person who put the label on, come on. you know, <laughs> Or it'll say 25-pound box of Roma tomatoes. And it'll be that label will be right next to where it says tiny-ass box of grape tomatoes. Right? Like, come on, person who's putting my order together. Yeah. When, when I worked at Universal in Florida... Because it is impossible to air condition a building whose doors are constantly being opened and closed yeah. to the extent needed uh, to prevent you when you're running around a, a stage and doing um, activities very quickly um, uh, to prevent you from sweating. Our mic packs had to be protected. The way that we protected them was with unlubricated condoms. So the mic pack would go <laughs> into a condom. Safety well, first. We, our managers got switched, um, our stage managers and the new stage manager. Um, at one point we, I forget what, if we had to do anything or if there was enough left over, but instead of, I, I don't know how many places are ordering like cases of unlubricated Trojans, um, you know, to, to their, or, or pallets. I don't know the, and <laughs> it was a lot that, that would be yeah, ordered yeah. at once. Right. Because we were going through, you know, quite a few in a day. Just with the, the the amount of shows that we did and the amount of people that we brought in to rotate through, but uh, got delivered instead lubricated uh, condoms, okay. which you don't want to put over your mic pack and then slip into your back pocket or Yikes. you know uh, connect to your belt or whatever because you're gonna stain costumes and whatever. And to this day, I don't know whether it was him being new ordering the wrong thing. But I, it had to have been like, this is the item number. This is how many to order. This is when to order them. So I don't know if something got messed up with him being new or if someone was new at the uh, the warehouse, the yeah. condom warehouse, and was like, what's this? This this is a movie studio that ordered this many condoms. That's got to be a porn studio. Surely we have to send them this other kind and was trying to correct what they thought was an error. Right. The amount of people who are probably fully in possession of a conspiracy theory about Disney based just on the amount of condoms that they were buying 
It has to. It has to be a, an enormous number of people who are like they must be banging like crazy over there. Yeah. They are constantly ordering condoms. Wow, I'm I'm a little shocked that that was the best solution. <laughs> well, you know, for the mic pack, it, it fits snugly. You know, it, uh, it any moisture that got inside, there was a reservoir tip there for uh, yeah. collection. So uh, yeah, it, and it prevented the mic packs from getting uh, you know shorting out from you know, sweat from people. STDs, and, yeah. Yeah, and you didn't have to worry then when you got it because you knew that whoever had it last, <laughs> you know. That is wild. I never would have expected. And that seems to be like, I think whoever was, like I said, working. So I don't know if sometimes the pickers, like if they're like, well, they wanted tomatoes. These are tomatoes. And and they're pickers. So there's some level maybe of ignorance in terms of what the difference between a Roma tomato is and this other right, tomato. Right. And so they're trying to do their best to fulfill your wish, but are really effing things up more than just not sending you anything. Yeah, and I mean, also, I, I don't care who you are and, and how good of a job you think you're doing on overnights. Human beings are just not designed to work at night. So if you're working from 10 at night until 6 in the morning, building pallets of stuff to go on trucks, you are not doing your best work, and it's not your fault. We're not supposed right. to be awake at that point. That's not how yeah. human beings as machines are designed to operate. So the fact that I get anything that's accurate ever, I should be super thankful, right? And I shouldn't be quite so grumpy about it, but it just feels like that part of my industry has just gone completely haywire in the last year. Yeah. Well, remember the time that, uh, I forget what I intended to send you for Christmas, and you got just like a case of creamer? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's not what I bought. Yep, I totally got a case of uh, carnation whatever little fake happen yeah, like creamers coffee mate is yep. that what it was yeah and and uh and that could i mean if a barcode gets switched because a lot of stuff is picked in amazon warehouses by robot now right yeah but if the if a bin gets filled incorrectly or uh, a barcode is messed up then then the robot doesn't know the robot can't look at it and say this is wrong humans sometimes don't look at it and say <laughs> this is wrong so it's interesting to me too though because there are people who are doing like quality control stuff right there was a week that i needed gluten-free bread and i needed it to be free of other allergens as well and there's one that we always get and it's one skew one one item number for gluten-free bread but i didn't realize that they carried a variety i just always get the same one and it's great but eagle eye me because i'm not going to get any kids sick in my job i check stuff like that so I ordered gluten-free bread. It came in and the box was different. So I was like, hmm. So I opened it up. Not the one that I always get. And it was made with the addition of a nut flour. I want to say it was an almond flour, right? Which a lot of times with gluten-free stuff, that's what they do. And that's fine. My school is nut-free. So I sent it back, right? I reordered and I texted my rep and I was like, just so you know, I returned. Um, and this time I did want a note on my account. I said, I returned the gluten-free bread I got today. It wasn't my normal stuff that I get. I forget the brand name now. Um, and the stuff came in with, with an allergen that we can't have in the building. So that's why I returned it. It came in and it had a nut warning on it. And he was, he was like, okay, cool. And I said, can you put a note on my account? He said, yeah. Reordered it for the next day. Not only did I get the same product the next day, the almond flour one, it was the same box. <laughs> and I had ripped the tape off of the box in such a way that it pulled some of the cardboard off of the edge that was closest to me. And when that, the next day when it came in, I was like, I recognize not only this product, but this particular box. And so I had to call my rep at that point. And I was like, I, I don't really need anybody to be in trouble about this. 
but you told me this was taken care of and not only did i get the same product but i was sent the exact same box like it went into the truck and drove around the town all day and then went back to your warehouse and then they tried to send it back to me again and my rep went oh no no somebody needs to be in trouble for that because that was outside of our package handling you know protocol or whatever and i was like okay great but i still need gluten-free bread bro <laughs> you know just not that one and especially not that exact same box that i sent back yesterday you know yeah <laughs> but again that's the kind of stuff that makes me super nervous and that's why i have to like i should probably train one of my staff to check in orders it's got my name on it. Anything that happens at that school has my name on it. So I've got to be the guy looking at it because how are my, are my staff going to keep, are are they going to know what box the bread comes in knowing that I break it out of that box and I put the loaves in the freezer. Maybe none of them have ever seen the box that our regular bread comes in, but I'm going to notice that difference. Yeah. And that's, I mean, something like that with, if, if it's a nut allergen is very important. It's not a, it's definitely not a, uh, uh, a thing to go blind on yeah that's that's not how you get people sick unless you want to think that you get them sick real temporarily because nut allergy man that's how you kill people like that is there's nothing more serious than that as far as i'm concerned do you think you don't think it was the truck driver that just like turned around in a circle and then brought it back like like isn't was that is that waiting or isn't that's the old uh uh, I know it, it, it very rarely happens. I'm sure it, it could happen. Oh, the the yeah. waiter takes your steak back, just walks it through the kitchen and brings it back to you yeah. without actually doing anything to it. And... Because what the customer doesn't want is a new meal. They just want to be special. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, one of the things that I've realized, and I just haven't been in a position to be angry enough about this to have to think about it. Nothing is really ever the driver's fault unless you see the driver like smash a case on the ground, right? Like somebody else has packed the truck. The driver and and somebody else has fulfilled the order. I placed the order. My rep has talked to the warehouse about the particulars of what my order needs to be. All the driver is doing is bringing it to me. So there's never any point unless, again, unless the driver drops something on the ground. There's never any point to getting mad at the driver. And the driver's not going to do weird stuff because it benefits them because it doesn't the driver just wants to empty the truck and go home that's all yeah. they want to do they're just looking at the name on, they're not they're not even paying attention to what the product is probably right they're just right. looking for okay chef ben this goes to chef ben yeah well and we've talked about this in the past that like i've got three or four drivers for my produce company that i give them cups of coffee in the morning those guys will look through the product sometimes and be like you know what i know he doesn't want this thing i'm gonna look through the truck and see you know like uh bananas in particular are a good example of that i always want stage six ripe bananas and sometimes they'll send me green bananas and some of my drivers will switch them out for other deliveries and give me the riper bananas because they also because they dig me they know i'm gonna give them coffee and whatever that's the kind of real cheap uh preparation i can do to make like if i if i give one dude a cup of coffee two days a week but he's gonna give me the best bananas on his truck yeah i'll do that that doesn't hurt me at all you know yeah yeah, little things like that are great at smoothing things over. Yeah. Well, and then like, we, man, we had this one driver, Pedro. We had him for years. That dude would tear the truck apart to find the best stuff for us. And I always felt bad that his other deliveries were taking a long time because he would just, like, hang out with us and talk. Like, I know everything about his family <laughs> and whatever. It was great. You know, and he was there. He was one of these guys who would also look at his route and be like, this route is stupid. And he would come to us first because we were easy and we opened up really early instead of, you know, because we're in Wrigleyville. When drivers go to Wrigley, they don't open their doors until like 7.30 and trucks will line up. And so Pedro was like, if I'm going to wait anyway, I'll wait and do two deliveries and then go back over to Wrigley later, you know? Yeah. 
That guy was awesome. But then he got put on long haul because it was more money, and we never see him anymore. Oh, Such a bummer. Probably good for him, though. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. All right. So that's enough about that stuff. <laughs> All that from cheese. Yeah. Ooh, real quick. R.I.P. Uh, one of my jobs. I don't know that we ever named it, but it doesn't really matter that much now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you were to go way back, way, way back in... Uh, the episodes, this would have been episode, I don't know, seven or eight probably, maybe nine, where I worked at this private club north of Detroit on an island. It's called the Old Club. It's on Harsons Island. And I was researching something else because I saw a ghost when I worked there and I wanted to know if that was a ghost that was classic that people had also seen, but there's, there's no other reference to that ghost in media aside from the stories that I heard while I was there, and I saw this guy. But uh, from March of last year, Old Club, this is from the Times-Herald, Old Club plans rebuild after six cottages destroyed in Harsons Island fire. So, yeah, Steve, it turns out that another place that I've worked at, um, this time literally went up in flames. <laughs> and, and luckily you weren't in it at the time, though you were usually pretty out of those places before they figuratively went up in flames. Yeah. So, um, um, it was, it was actually a little, like, I didn't get emotional, but I was looking at, it, I was like, I recognize all those places. Like I've been in that building that is now burned down, you know, but what are you going to do? Uh, I haven't worked there in, when did I work there? 2001. It's been a long time since I worked there. Not even that. It was 99. I want to say. And this is from when did, when did we say 20, last oh, 2023. Yeah. So has, I wonder if there's been any movement on that. Because um, it does say that the old club's been around for 150 years. Yeah. So um, it, there's there's no indication in this article about why the fire started, but it did spread to six of the cottages, as well as it looks like the main clubhouse. So whatever they're doing, it's going to be a lot of rebuilding. Yeah. All it says is, I believe this, I forget, uh, who is this uh, firefighter, maybe it said, I believe somebody was working in that area, but I'm not exactly, I'm not sure exactly what they're working on, on the dock or something else. We're still trying to get that information. So that dock did have a refueling station. There was Ooh. gasoline there. <laughs> would would it be better or worse if we somehow found out that Steven Seagal was responsible? <laughs> <laughs> it would be well that would bring into it like why is a Russian asset attacking a private club in nearly international waters north of Detroit, right? Like that gets yeah. complicated in a hurry. I mean, it's the plot of a Steven Seagal movie though. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On Dangerous Ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Only On it's called Deadly, Russian Deadly Asset. Ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that now Steven Seagal actually is the bad guy from most of the Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> yes. Yep. So, I don't know. I was I was thinking, because I was listening to a podcast called um, Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, and they, were, they had a call out for ghost stories, and I did see a ghost while I was working at the old club, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to Google, you know, uh, old club Harsons Island ghost and the first thing that came up was dude your shit burned down and I was like oh crap look at that and so yeah <laughs> some of my memories are now have, have been destroyed in fires <laughs> okay uh, that, yeah. I don't know what that is uh, that, that's all Just that just needed to be a quick thing yeah I think it looks like there's at least partially reopened because um, there was a thing for Valentine's Day on their Facebook. Who's getting your old the old club Valentine next week? Oh, wait, maybe not. Maybe it's just a Valentine that was being sent. I don't know. 
Um, yeah, that's it. How did how, like when you found that out? How did it make you feel? Were you like, oh, were you like, oh? Well, so you know, that's where I worked for my buddy Tim, who I just quote celebrated the eighth anniversary of his death overdosing from heroin. Um, a big chunk of like the not the foundation of my sobriety, but like part of the uh, support of it is thinking about Tim and thinking about how even though he did everything right he still succumbed to his addiction right and so i tim tim helps me tim's been gone for eight years now but tim still helps me but tim was the chef at the old club for like 10 years or something so that brought all of that up so i was probably more emotional than i really should have been because whatever it's a collection of buildings and i worked there one summer Uh, it was it was one of those things though like you have an experience like working at a private club for a summer where you really don't leave the island and you're cramalammed into this space with this small group of people where it's an intense like the amount of time you spent there is actually much more than the amount of time you spent there you know yeah so yeah bittersweet I, i i don't want to know that that place burned down that's sad yeah um so their website is still very active in that and here's my here's my other question because it appears, just looking at, they have they have a variety of old postcards, and they have a very interesting building on some of them, with kind of a dome. Yeah. Uh, is that still there? Uh, it was there when I was there, yeah. Okay. So, unless that one was part of the ones that caught fire. But some of these postcards are uh, appear to be um, very old. So, that being said, has it always been called the Old Club? And if you were starting a <laughs> club... Would you call it the old club in anticipation of it lasting 150 years? Or do you have to call it something else first? Oh, I'm sure you have to call it something else first. And then eventually that's just what people call it. Oh, I'm going down to the old club. Yeah. And then the name changes. Or it didn't have a name and it was just like a place where rich white people hung out north of Detroit. And uh, eventually enough people said, yeah, I'm going to go down to the old club. And then they just decided to call it the old club. Right. So initially it wasn't the old club. It was, it was, yeah, the, we're going to go to the old club. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some of these slides here are renderings of what I presume is going to be the rebuild of oh, okay. uh, a portion of it. So um, it, uh, they're just rendering. So I imagine that it hasn't actually uh, um, uh, happened yet. So. Uh, yeah. Um, and we also learned that one of the, one of your place in Cal- in Kalamazoo permanently closed. Right. Um, but yeah. that was the, uh, one downtown. Yes. Not the one in the hotel. No. And then the, the dirty duck has been closed for a while. Yeah. Is that right? Um, so, I mean, it happens, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like we found out with, when we were talking about, uh, Edda. Oh jeez. Yeah, they, they they the place they work closed uh, over you know overnight for some people, which is the worst way for that to happen. All right, so let's excellent excellent segue, Steve. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have some time to spare, go ahead and read Ashok Selvam's um, article in Eater Chicago. Edda's five bankruptcies have left a collective mess. The short story on this is this is the classic restaurant egotism issue david pizer opened up a restaurant called maple and ash opened up a restaurant called etta top of the world king of everything making money left and right and then expanded and expanded and it wasn't working and then hid the um shortfalls and started embezzling had a huge public essentially breakup with the other partner of maple and ash things started falling apart but rather than doing things in a structured settlement kind of a way uh 
just did goofy things like closing one of the locations of Edda, the uh, Bucktown location, just like overnight doing things like that. And it's classic. It's classic restaurant. You overexpand and then you have to contract and usually it's done badly. Yeah. And I mean, I'm very curious. Uh, I don't think I could watch it because it's too stressful by all counts. But if any of this, like, why isn't the this a TV show instead of The Beast? The Bear? Uh, the Bear, yeah. Because this is high drama, I, I feel oh, like, yeah. with everything going on. This is like uh, um, the days of our lives in a kitchen or whatever. Right. I mean, the problem is is that aside from the staff... There's no good guys in any of these stories. There's nobody to root for. So it is yeah. tough. Like It would be tough to dramatize this unless the whole thing was from the perspective of like a bartender. But they never know what's going on until it turns out there's a sign on the door saying, you can pick up your last paycheck from this lawyer's office downtown. This place is closed. We need to hire like Keith Morrison and do like a dateline just for restaurant stuff. <laughs> I would say more like a catch a predator, right? Get that guy. <laughs> yeah. But like that Chris, that's the kind Chris of Chris Hansen? Yeah, get Chris yeah, Hansen yes. to start doing restaurant stuff. <laughs> um, but that's I mean this uh. it's like a forensics files type of show or one of those shows that's just like uh in in it was the Gold Coast one that got closed overnight, right? Wasn't Bucktown still open? I don't know if it's still open. <sighs> and one of them closed. Yeah. Closed the River North location. There you go, River North. The Bucktown Bucktown must still be open. Um but it's like uh uh in a little part of Chicago known as River North, sat a restaurant called Edda. Well, I mean, now it's getting Twilight Zone-ish, but, you know, it's got to be one of those. For your consideration, Aya Pastry. Or is that the Iser, uh Is that what closed in River North? Because that, that was fascinating, too, that that the Aya of Aya Pastry um, hadn't been there for... And that's one of the bankruptcies, right? Like, yeah. Aya sold it to Pizer for seven hundred thousand dollars yep but only has only gotten the two hundred thousand dollar down payment and pretty sure she's not gonna get the rest of it yeah yeah like uh, what do you do with because that was like that was a property that was actually worth that yeah and she'll never get it right oh no question and there's no like there's no backtracking and going back and trying to resell it right it's just like that money's just gone So uh, there's, let me read you this quote. Our aim is to best position the Edda brand for future success. A statement provided to Eater from Pizer and his representatives reads, By filing for protection under Chapter 11, we will be able to restructure our financial position while continuing our daily operations and keeping our locations open. As has already happened in our Scottsdale, Arizona location, we predict that we will emerge stronger both operationally and financially. None of those words mean anything. All of that is we are stalling until we can figure out how to get our personal finances untangled from this. And then we are disappearing to uh, Caribbean Island. Yeah. Because remember, this or is Mexico. a guy, this is a guy who took PPP funds and bought himself a private jet, which he still has. Right. Like this is the level of, of disrespect toward the financial well-being of an operation that has a number of employees who are now completely out of work this is the guy in charge of that the dude who was like oh i'm gonna take payroll protection money from the federal government that i plan on not paying back and i'm gonna buy myself a plane with it and then three years later i'm gonna close all my restaurants file for chapter 11 and disappear to jamaica 
the the here's the timeline that, that they have a nice little timeline here on the sidebar. Yeah. Uh, 2015, David Pizer and Jim Lasky opened Maple and Ash in Gold Coast, their first collaboration under what would become What If Syndicate. Um, in 2017, What If opens Aya Pastry in Westtown as Maple and Ash pastry chef Aya uh, Fukai. Yep. Uh, Helms and Namesake Bakery. 2018 to 2022, What If begins a nationwide expansion, beginning with Etta Bucktown, followed by Maple and Ash in Scottsdale, Arizona, Etta River North, Etta Culver City, California. Cafe Sophie opens in Gold Coast. Uh, the plan to open Etta in Dallas and to open Etta Scottsdale, Arizona as well. 2022, Pizer files lawsuit against Lasky, alleging he was frozen out of What If's financial records, the starting of, quote, an illegal coup, which if were to believe some of the bad behavior of Pizer may have been because he was skimming or doing something dubious with his access to the finances, right? Well, at this point, if I'm Lasky, yeah, I'm freezing the guy out who took PPP funds and bought himself a plane. Yeah. January of last year, 23, Lasky and Pizer reached a settlement. Lasky and Grant take the ownership of Maple and Ash and form Maple Hospitality Group. Pizer takes control of Etta, Aya, Pastry, and Cafe Sophie and forms Etta Collective. Now, it should be noted that we, there, Lasky and Grant, is Maple and Ash still open then? Yes. Th that has not been in the news lately. No. There seems to be little drama on that end of the th of, of the dock. Right, we're starting to see where the drama's coming from, yeah. Uh, June of last year, Pizer announces Etta Evanston will open in the suburbs. Uh, August of last year, Etta Culver City dodges eviction as Etta Collective lays off 10 workers. Later, workers in River North and Bucktown claim a lapse in dental and vision coverage despite paying their premiums. Pizer denies any lapse. Um, October 3rd, Fukai leaves her namesake bakery and sells her shares of Aya Pastry to Pizer. December of last year, ownership announces that Etta Culver City will close on December 31st. Meanwhile, Chicagoland vendors begin complaining about unpaid bills. Pizer confirms the closure of Cafe Sophie in Gold Coast. January of this year, Etta Scottsdale files for Chapter 11th bankruptcy in Delaware. Etta River North closes. February 1, Etta Collective, the parent company of Aya Pastry and Etta, files for bankruptcy in separate filings. Etta River North, Etta Bucktown, and Aya Pastry also file for bankruptcy. I don't know how that works if yeah, they're all yeah. under one umbrella. Can every entity file for bankruptcy? It, I guess it depends on how it's organized. Yeah. February 7th, workers at Etta River North protest in front of the Bucktown restaurant after they didn't receive their final paychecks as scheduled. There's laws about that, too. Yeah, there are. Um, February 9th, they finally got their last paycheck. And that's where we are. Yeah. It's, again, unfortunately, not common, but classic. Succeed, get a big head, expand way too fast, everything falls apart. Right? What you generally don't get is somebody like David Pizer, who is still cheerleading for himself up and down. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's reminiscent of the uh, nunchuck that moved to Colorado um and yeah just, yeah uh, what's his face from 42 whams yeah yeah um uh he's just trying to fail up and there's there's zero of anything earned um in, in like yeah. in any like if you're if you if everything you own you have to file for bankruptcy for how 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 do you get another location that that's i mean who's gonna invest in this guy is he that is he that hot shit in terms of uh cooking goes like it shouldn't everyone 
uh, every line cook, every every sous chef, every pastry chef see this and be like, I ain't working for that guy. <laughs> well, that's what it's going to be now. Yeah. Unfortunately, it tends to used to be you wouldn't hear about this stuff. Places would close and you'd just be like, that's weird. I didn't realize that was closing. Social media has changed the whole landscape. You cannot get away with behavior like this anymore because like in the Chicago Hospitality Facebook group, somebody's going to post, hey, Etta closed today. They didn't tell us anything. We have to go to some lawyer's office downtown to get our last paycheck. We go, it's not there. And people from Etta Bucktown are going, y'all need to, to calm down. Things change, whatever. Like there was a big, there was like a civil war between the Etta Lincoln Park folks and the or, uh, Lakeview and the Etta Bucktown people who were still open because when they were protesting in front of the Bucktown location, the people who worked there were pissed. And it was like, hey, your company didn't take care of those people. Guess what? You're also not going to get taken care of. You're next yeah. on the block. You have zero uh, uh, job security in this. And did that did that location file for bankruptcy? Yeah, it was um, part of that. It was part of that whole litany of bankruptcies. Yeah, so you, that that's so that at the end, at the end of the day, there's going to be some pay that he gets to withhold from you. Yeah, because of bankruptcy, whatever. Um, because Chapter Eleven's protection from like creditors and stuff, right? It's to try to weasel out of paying the, all the debts that have accrued. Yeah, um, and weasel out's probably the wrong word. There's legitimate reasons for going into bankruptcy, but um, I don't know as this guy is is using them. Um, but I, maybe he is, I don't know, but, uh, it just, everything, it, it's got a, it's got an odor <laughs> to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I know. Uh, I would not, uh, not that I have the money, but I would not be throwing it at him to get into a partnership, um, for, for anything where, you know, he's in charge of any of the finances. This doesn't scream great business person. Maybe he's run for president. <laughs> It's um, it's probably worse than we think it is because I just read further down in the article, quote, a lawsuit fi filed by Pizer in April 2022 alleges that Lasky and Grant were freezing him out of the company. A counter lawsuit accused Pizer of allegedly showing up to a female employee's house late at night unannounced. Rumors began to circulate on both sides, but before the powder keg could explode, Pizer and Lasky agreed to a settlement. <sighs> So if you sue your partner for freezing you out of the company's assets and your partner goes, hey, remember that waitress that you showed up at her house without calling or anything first and suddenly you uh, decide to just settle? You can't plead the fifth. I mean, that is, that's 100% an admission of guilt, right? So this is likely way worse than we think it is. Yeah. I mean, there's a possibility that, I mean, I, I, I think it's going to, not that it can't happen. I think it's going to be harder for him to rebound in Chicago, but I imagine there, there are other cities where it's not making as much news. Yeah. Um, that, that perhaps he could re maybe, maybe Arizona or someplace. It's not as big a deal. Um, we're not getting as much info, uh, or they're not getting as much info. I don't know, but, uh, well, the trick is going to be is that now he's a known quantity of being a bad bet in Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as, carbondale you know uh california and there are other places so now this dude is is not nationally known as being a cheat but in a more than just one town you know i presume if you're asking me for a million dollar grub steak or whatever to get your business off the ground that i'm gonna google you right <laughs> right right so all of this information should be readily available for anyone that and unless you buy whatever he's selling 
in terms of reasons and, and why he's the victim in all of this. Um, which maybe, maybe there's a certain echelon of people that, um, are like, Oh yeah, I remember that time I got busted for going to the waitress's house. I'm totally on your side. Um, I, I maybe next, the next thing we know is that he and Mario Batali are going to be, you know, creating something together because Great. they can really empathize with each other. They'll be doing know. it in Traverse city too. Yeah. So, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Steve, but there have been times in my career where I've taken a new job where I'm being paid more money than the previous job. And when I get that first paycheck, I buy a bunch of shit I don't need. And then all of a sudden (laughs) I'm like, oh, wait, that's right. I still need to make rent. This whole thing is that on a humongously more uh, grandiose scale where this fella opened up a steakhouse, found some success, started to live a life, and then bills started coming due and he was like oh wait i don't have that money and again it is classic because nobody teaches you how to run a restaurant nobody tells you not to be an asshole once you've become successful and things like this just keep happening where once you've been told by enough people that the thing you're doing is good and you're great at it suddenly in your brain it turns into everything you do is good and right and you're great at it even when the things you're doing are bad like moralistically or financially or whatever right you turn into a person who thinks that whatever it is you're doing is the right thing to do and then you these people are rightfully surprised they're like what do you mean this is illegal i'm doing it how could it be illegal it's like no no no, david beiser you can't take ppp funds and buy yourself a jet that's not how this works yeah, you can't continue to charge people for health insurance and not be giving them the health insurance that they're right. paying for. How do you think you can get away with that? There's like documentation about that. Like that's yeah, that's just a real thing. And again, yeah, when do we see the next article that's like, oh, look, the federal government has now detained this fellow because that's medical insurance fraud on a federal level. And that's like you go to real prison for that. Yeah. And it's like, he uh, denies the allegations. Well, you know who else denies the allegations? Murderers. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm not saying he's a murderer, but, you know, it, innocent people and guilty pe- people both deny the allegations. I mean, maybe he's not a murderer, but let's say I work for a guy like David Pizer, and I am paying out of my paycheck into health care benefits, and then I don't get them while my child is sick because he has stopped my coverage because he wants that tiny little bit of a money out of my paycheck for some other purpose. Then, well, then jet I fuel is not cheap, Ben. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, it's it's fraud. So the dude is not just a bad financial manager. The dude is not just uh, somebody who fell into the common trap of expanding too quickly because he thought he was awesome. This is legit premeditated fraud. Yeah, but how is his risotto, Ben? That's a great question. We should probably judge him just on that. Yeah. Although I don't even think this dude's a cook. I think he's just one of these front of the house stuff shirt like. Oh well. Middle then manager. Then his result is probably yeah. awful. <laughs> probably true. Yeah. There is a skill set among tie wearing front of the house mid shift managers. Some of those people are really good at finding young talent and either managing well or exploiting those people in front of the house, back of the house, design, finance, whatever. There are certain people who are only good at putting together a team, right? Like your Nick Furies, right? Like Nick Fury doesn't have any superpowers. Nick Fury is not like the greatest organizer in the world. Nick Fury (laughs) recognized that he could put together a team of people who would eventually become the Avengers. There's value in that. So if you're a David Pizer and your whole thing is you have a vision and then you find the right people to put in those places, great. But if you take 
federal payroll protection money and buy an airplane and then wonder why it is you're financially in trouble, then you should have hired a really good accountant as well and stayed out of it. So what you're saying is that whereas David or whereas Fury, Nick Fury, yeah, would have been like uh, Captain America, this is Iron Man, Iron Man, this is Hulk, Hulk, this is Thor. David Peisner was like uh, Hawkeye, this is Hawkeye, Hawkeye, this is Hawkeye, <laughs> Hawkeye, this is Hawkeye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he had the Hulk doing his finances. <laughs> Number smash. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I don't take any joy in this because there are. Hundreds of people now who are out of a job very suddenly, who have been out of medical insurance for a while because of this guy's obvious fraud. I, I can't take any joy in that. However, like, yeah, let's say these are articles that the internet doesn't forget, right? Like, these are articles that are going to be around forever when this dude moves to Maine and wants to open up a bed and breakfast and needs to get a $2.5 million loan. The banks in Maine are going to go, A, we've essentially seceded from the union. We don't do that kind of crap anymore. You have to use main books or whatever. And B, B, we know who you are. If you're having, if you're going to be health inspected, you can't open up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. C, did you hear what Ben and Steve said? (laughs) Right. There's these two guys in Chicago hate you so bad. They've never met you. Uh, (laughs) It's not going to go away. There's going to be a notoriety there. Dude's going to be a bad bet. He's going to go to banks. Now, how do these people then succeed later? They don't go to banks. They go to people who want to play a restaurant, right? They go to celebrities. They go to uh, sports figures, people like, you know, Michael Jordan had a couple of restaurants for a while. He actually did an okay job with it, but, like, you can find people who have money who just want to do stuff with that money. They want to play a restaurant. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing because I feel like – so uh, there are a lot of actors or uh, sports personalities or, or um, athletes – who uh, very intelligently want to diversify, yeah. want to do something with their money other than buy Rolexes and whatever else, uh, whatever status symbol is hip and, and hot right now. Escalate. I mean, look at, yeah, yeah. look at, uh, is it Shaq that owns part of uh, General Insurance? And he, yeah. everything he does a commercial for, I believe he is part owner of, yeah. has invested his money in all these places. So many of them do restaurants. And like, yeah. who's telling them to do this? Is that a good idea? Well, so, I mean, it's another, it's a dice roll. However, the one thing that every restaurant in this country needs is brand name recognition, right? Location, location, location has gone away. Now you just need people to know who you are because they can get to where you are or they can get your stuff to them, right? And so, yeah, if you open up a restaurant and it's got Shaq's face on it, you're done. You've like 90% of the work has already been done. Shaq is taking the risk. What if it sucks and his face is still on it, right? Yeah. But so, yeah, I I don't see why it's not more. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, they're not they're not all A-listers, Ben. True. Yeah. Are you going to go to Kathy Griffin's restaurant? No, Paulie Shore though I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say because it, I I wouldn't not go to Kathy Griffin's restaurant, but I'm not going to go just because it's Kathy Griffin's. Right. Um there are other people that maybe yeah, yeah that would be more enticing. Kayla and I went to the Murray Brothers restaurant. Oh, okay. Which, which is golf themed. It's over yeah, uh, yeah. Gulf Coast of Florida. No, no, not Gulf Coast. Not G U L F. PGA <laughs> wherever. Yeah. It's Where somewhere. Where the Masters is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Golf, golf centric because they're. It's Caddyshack themed Cat, and it's yeah. very golf oriented. Uh, wasn't very. weren't many people there when we were there, but. Uh, um, we yeah. should work up a list of B and C list celebrities. Separately, come up with the restaurants that they would. <laughs> 
be the faces of <laughs> and then bat those back and forth on the next episode. Like a yes. Pauly Shore. Like, what would a Pauly Shore restaurant be? And yeah. it would really be different because right now Pauly Shore actually has a very interesting podcast that he does because everybody does where he brings on you know uh stand-up comedians and actors and stuff like that and they tell stories and whatever but like that paulie shore's restaurant is very different than like biodome paulie shore's restaurant you know yeah like having recently fairly recently in the past couple of years seen biodome i don't think i ever had like i remembered seeing encino man i remember yeah. seeing son-in-law which uh-huh. i remember thoroughly enjoying um i don't know if i'd seen in the army now i've but, never seen that one or jury duty, and I and so we watched all the all the Paulie Shore movies that were in that run of movies that he did. But uh, bio, ha, having seen Biodome, Paulie Shore was not the weak link in that. Oh no no no! It was the uh, the Baldwin. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it was Stephen, Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. Yep. Yeah. Like if if they would have let Paulie Shore make the movie that Paulie Shore could have made without whatever was going on behind the scenes, then uh, I I think it would have been a better movie. But yeah, like I feel like if it was in Alaska, Biodome would be a good name for but you're not going to get that's not a great location probably Stephen baldwin thought he was in encino man and he thought he was the caveman <laughs> yeah. but he was not that was brendan no. frazier who was yeah. gold in everything he's ever been in yes i i think you're dead on Stephen baldwin thought he was in a different movie oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. because you watch that and and it's as if he's in a different <laughs> he like, thought he was in a cartoon yeah it's just <laughs> Not and and like the I don't entirely blame Stephen Baldwin. The director could should have pulled him back, but you know, uh, yeah. Um, so that isn't yeah. W- would he? Would it be? Would it be the weasel? <laughs> uh, right. Or or would it be a juice bar and wheeze the juice? Uh, or would it be buddies? Oh, that's good. Uh, so no, I'll I will. Why don't you come up with five and I'll come up with five? Okay. Five. Celebrities. Yes. We'll, we'll put those lists together so we'll have ten total and we'll separately come up with what the uh, restaurants would be for them. And uh, it doesn't have to be actors entirely, but uh, celebrities of some sort. And, yeah, um, sure. Then we'll compare on the next episode because that sounds like a ton of fun. Yes. C&D you said, right? C&D list? Yeah. Yeah, like Polly Shore and down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, good. Yes. I'll throw some alternates in there too, just in case. We'll get it we'll get it down to ten. Um I let's let's talk about this article that you sent me about the ten thousand dollar tip in Benton Harbor, and then let's wrap it up because we're uh already yeah. at an hour forty five. Yeah. I've actually eaten at this place. Oh no kidding. So tell me about that. This oh, let me just get so the the headline from the article Steve sent me is server who received ten thousand dollar tip at Benton Harbor Cafe fired. The subtitle is management insists firing had nothing to do with giant tip. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this place is a hip place in uh, Benton Harbor. Mason it's, um, Jar Cafe. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it was it was fine. What did I get? Um, um, I don't know if I got like a French toast um, or or something. I was I was I went there for a meeting, so I got something because I was occupying space. Um, so it wasn't necessarily for a meal that I was doing. So I think I got coffee and I got something else, but I don't remember what, but that was, you know, um, that it was, they did breakfast, lunch, um, they probably also do dinner. Um, but, uh, just that, that I'm trying to think of a, a comp. Um, and I don't, I, I don't have a good one coming to mind, but, um, uh, 
Yeah, I wish there was more to this because I don't – it's rather opaque other yeah. than the fact that they say it had nothing to do with the tip. It's like, well, what did it have to do with? Right. I'm so curious as so, to – I mean, the backstory is a customer came in who was just at a friend's memorial service, chose to leave a $10,000 tip to remember his friend. And, and all he asked was that she share it with everybody else who was working, which she did then do. Yes. Um – so, so it couldn't have been for not uh, firing, I mean, not not uh, sharing, right? Um, <laughs> oh, this that that this part of the uh, oh, okay. Here's M Live. Uh, oh no, that's talking about that. Just the cafe cancel culture hits Michigan cafe that fires waitress after ten thousand dollar tip. Um, okay, so M Live is saying that. The restaurant disputes claims posted a line that it was connected to the generous uh, gesture. Um, there's a breakfast customer that left the tip. The waitress was fired. The waitress was fired about a week after receiving the big tip, uh, which was confirmed. Um, she was not let go over the tip. They said, uh, and it says the decision was quite frankly a business decision that was unrelated to the tip. Um, yeah, from, then, from the article you sent me, this is the uh, the person who wrote the article. Quote, I talked to co-owner Jamie Cousins off camera. She said she was limited in what she could say because this is a personnel matter. She did, however, right. confirm that she had fired Lindsay Boyd. She was adamant, though, that the firing had nothing to do with the tip, nor, she said, did it have anything to do with what followed the tip. I presume that means that Jamie Cousins is trying to say that Lindsay's work did not change afterward, right? Like, because $10,000 split by however many wait staff they had there that's not exactly fuck you money right like that's not like you can just walk out of your job or right. start doing a terrible job after that yeah um so i guess by can quote-unquote cancel culture they're just talking about some of the comments being left yeah. on like their facebook page and whatever however um, i mean not to you know uh excuse the restaurant however if you have an employee who gets a windfall like that and starts coming in late, starts not quite doing a great job, starts uh, leaving early, handing off shifts to people because they're suddenly flush, I can see that being something that you would sit the person down and give them some sort of a written counseling. And then if it continued, you'd have to fire them, right? Like if for no other reason, then you don't want that behavior to be shown to the other staff members as being appropriate. If that was the case, then yeah, then Jamie Cousins can't talk about that. That would yeah. be confidential employee counseling stuff. Okay, so this um, this is a little bit more, though I don't think it actually sh uh, sheds much. This is from Detroit Free Press. The employee said in a now deleted Facebook post that quote drama ensued after the ten thousand uh, unquote after the ten thousand dollar tip was shared quote and in an attempt to defuse the situation and resolve any rumors things became even worse unquote she said she was asked to take a mental health day off last sunday then was told sunday night to take monday off as well on monday she said she texted management asking whether she was being told quote in a professional way not to come back unquote to work and then on tuesday got a call quote that i am fired unquote huh it is a classic restaurant move to if you want somebody to quit so you don't have to fire them to start giving them terrible shifts that kind of smells of that like if you want a waiter to quit start giving them all lunch shifts and give them just like tuesday through thursday 
Yeah. This is interesting and something I hadn't considered. And I don't know what... So the decision was, they said on Facebook, unrelated to the tip. They said the restaurant paid the taxes on the tip and the termination was, quote, not a decision made lightly or hastily. What taxes would the restaurant have to pay on the tip? It's not payroll. Unless it's income tax. I don't know. Do they have to... I thought that was the waitstaff's responsibility. It should be. So if the restaurant opted to pay, because it wouldn't be a payroll tax, it would be an income tax for each right. of the individual people. But that wouldn't matter until the till next year anyway. Yeah. So if the so restaurant opted to pay that for them, that's really generous, but that's weird. Yeah. I could see, let's say they've got 20 servers and six of them are on at that point. If the restaurant decided to split that money between those six and the other 14 didn't get anything, I could see that turning into an immediate social issue at that restaurant. The other 14 people being like, none of those other five people did anything for that tip. Why are we being frozen out of it as well? And it turning into a thing where she was being not harassed, but like Lindsay would be the face of that particular unfair thing. But yeah. I don't see how that would lead to her being fired anyway, unless she just decided to start popping off at people about it. Yeah. So th- this is this is one addition. Sweeney, however, told the Free Press that the tip was real and the termination was bad timing, coming after months of conversation and policy violations. He said the cafe does not regret posting the now-deleted photo of the receipt. So that's the other piece of it. If she was a bad employee who just happened to be the person on site to get this huge tip, and they were already in the process, if she was two strikes in, and they were like, well, we still have to fire her because she's still doing the crap we told her not to do anymore, then that's bad optics, but it's good business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you especially because, yeah, you just, if it was a decision or a decision that had already been made, yeah. you know, it's like, and they, they are, they're, not, they're not claiming like that she didn't share it, or anything like that. She says, yes, uh, the tip was real. Yeah. Um, although the taxes thing is still weird to me. And uh, yes, she shared the tip as uh, at the request of the man that left it. So they're not saying she did anything inappropriate with the, with the tip. Um, she, it was real. She did share it. However, um, she, was, she was also fired. So. I am looking for, I keep this in my phone. It's a picture of Gandalf, and it says, Things are now in motion that cannot be undone. And I keep that in my phone because every so often as a manager or as a boss or as an owner, you're in that place where you're like, You know what? I've spoken to this person twice about something. Whatever work-related thing it is. And now they know, and I know, and kind of everybody knows that one of these days they're going to do this thing again and they're going to get fired. Yeah. Things are just in motion that cannot be undone. And 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 it, maybe Lindsay was in that Gandalf position. Well, and you you felt it from the other side, right? I mean, there was a moment at, um, you know, Restaurant B yeah. where you were like, I am out of here. And there is zero that they can do yeah. that would that would stop that. Like it's it's too now it's too late. Um, I think I could pinpoint the moment where. Um, the conniving started happening to fire me from the terrible bagel place. Um, and I think it was when um, I got a call after our, like there was a regular meeting of managers that happened like on Thursdays, maybe 
um, or maybe it was Tuesdays. It happened on Tuesdays and got a text or something. It was like, so-and-so, uh, the, the boss guy is sick, so we're not meeting. Right. Okay. Um, and then the next day it was like, we're meeting today at whatever time. And I was like, okay, I can't go. Why can't I go? Because you gave me like a couple of hours notice and I have a life outside of terrible bagel place. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. So, um, then I was asked about it later. Like you didn't show up to the meeting. I was like, no, I was prepared to go to the meeting that is, you know, in my job description as the meeting that I have to go to. Yeah. But that meeting was canceled. It was rescheduled for a time that conflicted with stuff that I had going on. So you're right. No, I did not go. So I think <laughs> that was the moment where it, it was felt that, that I was insubordinate. I already knew that the, the job was terrible. So, you know, I was, I could have been, I could have handled that differently and not, not set things in motion. But I think that's when, for me, things were set in motion. But yeah, from the other side, I've been, I've been at places where I've known, I'm like, okay. And that was the straw, the last straw for me. So it does not matter what they do now. I'm out of here. Yeah. The trick becomes, because we're all people, right? So like you can be a manager, you can be an owner, you can be an employee, you can be a customer, whatever. We're all still people. And so you can tell. Yeah. Unless you're working for the greatest actor ever. If you're working for Gandalf, right? If you're working for Sir Ian McClellan, maybe you wouldn't know. But as a manager, like, if you've talked to somebody a couple times about something, you know from how they respond whether or not it's going to get fixed or if you're going to have to fire (laughs) that person. Now, where it gets tricky is where you're like, all right, the next time this happens, I'm going to have to fire you. And that person has an emergency. (laughs) And the thing that happens is tied to the emergency, right? Like they have to show up late, they have to leave early, they need a day off, they didn't call off, whatever. And it's like- a $10,000 tip. But their kid is in the hospital. And it's like, well, I can't fire you for this now. And so then they get like a weird extension, but things are still in motion that cannot be changed. You know, it's, that's just, that's where that is. Now, can can you get counseled for doing something wrong in your job and come back from it and be successful? Hell yeah, you can. Yeah. How often does that happen? 12% of the time yeah it's just how it is because again people are people and as an employee the job you're doing you're basing the job you're doing the the like how good of a job you're doing you're basing that on how you're being compensated and whether or not that's worth it to you that's entirely subjective and that's fine the minute you get in trouble for doing something wrong or doing something improperly then that math changes now suddenly the job you're doing probably is not worth the amount of money you're making because you have this sort of a negative sentiment associated with it because you were for a minute getting away with something, right? Yeah, yeah. So then that's when employees start to sour. And that's that happens. That's fine. Uh, there's no shame in finding out that the job you're doing is not the right job for you and go find the right job for you. That's, that's yeah. fine. Handle it like an adult. You're all good. Right. Nobody ever does, but that would be fine. It would be a fine <laughs> way to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to fix restaurant management today. Yeah. Yeah. All you can do, dear listener, is uh, be better where you are. <laughs> right. Right. And sometimes you got to be Gandalf. Things are in yeah. motion that cannot be undone. Yeah. Kind of a downer to end on. Yeah. But again, well, like this gal also got a $10,000 tip. So fucking good job right. to her. Yeah. And I don't know how many ways it was split, but she at least got a grand out of it. Had to I'm, I'm assuming had to have been so i i guess i'm gonna embark on this idea of making fancy uh twinkies 
Honestly, it feels a little too simple, and it feels like it would be way too successful, so I'm not sure why this hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to give it a shot. Why not? <laughs> I have this come upcoming week off, uh, so why not do something really stupid like that? I wonder if there's a place I can go where I can buy that pan or if I have to order it. I probably have to order it. I might not be able to get it done this week. That's fine. I would check your your local Marshalls um, just to see if there's something that would work in there, because sometimes they have funky pans. They do sometimes have funky pants i would also if you can if you can jumping on the is it cake craze i don't know if it's still a craze or if it ever was a craze but jumping on the is it cake um make them look like sausages and call them linkies <laughs> tremendous and i'll i'll bake them in my smoker instead of yeah. an oven. Yeah. <laughs> smoked cake so i joined a meal train for a friend of mine who is in cancer recovery right now where a bunch of people signed up to make meals for her and her young son and her husband right and i looked and all of these people were doing a great job they were making like healthy like salads and salmon dishes and stuff like that and i was like fuck that noise so i um smoked a pork shoulder so i gave him pulled pork and uh what i called slow simmered beans but it was four different it was baked beans four different kinds of beans and candied sweet potatoes and cornbread and this friend of mine you know because when i gave the food to her husband he like almost dropped it he was like this this is a lot and i was in my head i was like it's a, it's a pork shoulder um so she messaged me and her son she was like i've never seen him eat so much in one sitting (laughs) (laughs) like yep all the people who are really looking out for your health during your recovery i appreciate those people but here's a pork shoulder (laughs) you're just making their job um worthwhile yeah 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 yeah. i mean look you need to keep your strength up pork's good for you it's probably not (laughs) uh but i felt pretty good about that whole thing (laughs) that's my that's my good deed for this year Man, so far. I, I am so glad that we've got this week off coming up i needed it so bad like as much as i make fun of the kids at the school for like spring break is a little bit later this year so they're doing this midwinter break because these poor little babies can't be in school for that long i <laughs> can't be there that long all right like this week is gonna save my psyche so i'm excited about that is this the first sort of non-wonky year in that regard days off wise since the pandemic yeah yeah crazy i know right Okay, Steve, that's all that I have. That's all that I have energy for today. We've got a bunch of other articles <laughs> to talk about, like uh, Boston Market going bankrupt and, and uh, uh, cheese being bad for you and stuff like that. But we can talk about that stuff next week after we yep. talk about B and C and D list celebrity restaurants. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have anything to add to our conversation today, especially if you run like a produce warehouse and you are also frustrated with your picking staff, and uh, whoever it is who wields the whip and bangs the drum to keep them in time or overnight, um, please let us know. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. I'm on there a distressingly frequent amount of time. Right? I'm on there a lot. So that's a good way to get a hold of me as well. And we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. You can find all the articles that we reference and stuff like that. Our merch, which, again, still, I believe I'm the only one who's ever purchased anything, <laughs> uh, is all on our website that Steve runs for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all that I've got for tonight, Steve. Yeah, me too. All right. So for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Steve Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>